Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, titled The Pointy End. What did you think of this one? Uh, another stupendous episode. I thought it was um, it was great throughout. Uh, I'd forgotten some of the fine details. I think some of the right. stuff... Uh, you know, and there's a lot of kind of uh, the bones of theory crafting in a lot of these episodes in, in this in this episode. And I think I want to try hmm. to do, um, you know, because to try to discuss them all with like any without any kind of context as a way to because I if you were watching the show contemporary early, uh-huh. there was a certain buzz and you know water cooler talk about certain things said. And if we point those out, some of them end up being significant, some of them don't. But if we if we if we talk about them as if they were contemporary. It can't be considered spoilers, could they? I wouldn't think so. It's it's the old. I'm I'm essentially playing mildly interesting with the listeners themselves at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a couple questions I want to ask you that are. Uh, some of them point to things that are false. Some of them point to things right. that are true. There you go, getting uh, tricksy. So yeah, I, I feel like as long as we keep it ambiguous, and the people that good. know can you know be laughing up their sleeves the whole time. It's right. the essential, quintessential Game of Thrones um, non-spoiler experience. So yep. But yeah, what'd you think? Uh, I thought it was really good. I I really like that Rob's kind of starting to fight here. Yeah. Um, or, or I don't know that he started the fight, but he's certainly escalating it. Sure. Uh, and I really like the stuff with Tyrion and Bronn. They seem to be a good traveling uh, duo. It's the Roadshow. This yeah. is the first the I think ever Game of Thrones Roadshow. This is the one yeah. that start, started them all. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm. I know there were some like creepy things too, like yeah. Uh, Catelyn's sister, whose name I can't remember. Liza. Liza, also uh, still doing her thing with Robin. Mm, real, mm-hmm. real gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the the hound, the hound maybe like getting a little, a little mm. too fresh with Sansa. Could I be. don't know. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is like I felt it's very intimidating. This is, this is one of the few episodes where I felt kind of pity for San- Sansa because mm-hmm. I think. From the position she played herself into, she actually played this episode fairly well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's, I think, for all the things that she was equipped to do, kind of like Varys. Varys, like, hey, you know, what do you want? I don't have, I don't got armor, I don't have a sword, and I'm a shit with him anyway. Like, you can't mm-hmm. expect Sansa, like, to storm the keep in a suit of armor with yeah. a flaming sword. But the things that she can do, especially at the age, like, some of the arguments she made were articulate. Uh, and you know, Joffrey claims his heart has moved now. Whether whether Ned uh, sees reason and and acquiesces to his demands or or not, it remains to be seen. But mm-hmm. I thought the first for the first time, I'm like, I kind of see Sansa as something other than just annoying and whiny. Right. Like she knows, like this is some real. She wasn't prepared for it, but shit has gotten real, <laughs> and I think she's she's trying to roll with the punches. Sure. Why don't we get into the recap? Yes. We start off with Lannister troops running through King's Landing, murdering Ned's people. Uh, Sansa is sent to her room, like a, a insolent little child, mm-hmm. a brat. Uh, not quite that way. But Arya's training is interrupted by several of these these troops, and Serio fights most of them off, tells Arya to run, which she does. Then the Hound finds Sansa in the halls, and while Arya is fleeing, she finds a chest with her sword in it, and a boy tries to stop her from leaving, and she kills him. She just guts him like a fish. Yeah. Well, kind of. She pokes him once with needle. With the pointy end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I um. This I I can't help but when I see people in armor 
running through a city, just cutting people down. I always think Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The wedding scene? I, yeah, where he's running up the <laughs> stairs, just chopping Aha, people. How about you? Yeah. Right. It's... I can't help but laugh. I remember even this. Even though it's cool. I remember the scene being very hard to watch because, you know, last last episode ended with a knife to Ned's throat, but we see the right. northerners just being indiscriminately slaughtered. Yeah. And it's it's brutal. And, you know, it's also, I think, kind of an interesting artistic choice to juxtapose Arya, who, you know, one of the first times we saw things aren't going to be all hunky-dory with this arrangement was when... Uh, you know, she she and the butcher's boy were fighting, mm-hmm. and now she is forced to kill someone who kind of reminds me a lot of the butcher. Like I, yeah. in in another life, they could be friends. Like you know, if if this hadn't happened, maybe she ends up sparring with him in the King's Landing stables. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's um, I, I don't know if it's the, her first loss of innocence, but it's certainly probably the biggest one so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, her dog, having to set her dog free on a bunch of her sister's lives is probably not great either, but... uh... Right, but killing... Like, she doesn't even have time to think about it, though, right? She kills the kid, and she runs off. Right. She... she, You can see a glimmer in her eyes of recognition that, oh, I've just done something kind of bad. But at the same time, you know, she's got to get out of there. She's defending herself, and this kid was a real shit. Yeah, can can we talk about now that we talk about the broad strokes? Uh, uh, we'll talk about the fine touches. The serial man. Oh, I love him. This is why he became the Boba Fett of the Game of Thrones universe because he's yep. a fucking badass. He took on five dudes in plate armor with a wooden sword. Yeah, and uh, I'm not. I mean, here's the thing. Um, if we just let's just talk contemporary times. I was one of the ones uh, who came out right away and said, there's no way this guy can be dead. I do not believe fat-ass Sir Marin Trant was able, like, because, I mean, at the point when he breaks his wood sword, that's where you fucked up, dude, because he's going to pick up a real sword and he's going to beat, he's going to kill you all. There are several of those just lying on the floor now. Right, right. Like, I remember seeing this, like, there's no fucking way. We now you could call me a sweet summer child at the time. I don't know, but what, (laughs) do you, did you have feelings one way or another when you first saw this? Uh, yeah, I think I felt exactly the opposite. He's dead. Really? Yeah. That this was, like, a, a doomed last stand? But the, the, Right, yeah, to but, save Arya. But also, like, the last thing he said, you know, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. I mean, is he really going to quote that and then fucking die <laughs> to fat-ass Sir Marin Trant? Right. Uh It would be a shame. Uh, but, you know, I mean, people who get a little full of themselves oftentimes pay the price. That's true. Now, we don't see it, so who knows if Serio is still around or right. if he's dead. I, I honestly couldn't say, but, uh, yeah, I, this scene is fantastic. And just watching this guy, who they've teased really well. Like, right. he's instructing Arya, and he's, like, teaching her things, but we never really see his he skills. Claims he's the first sword of Bravos, and he served a sea lord. That sounds impressive, right. but it's also far away, and Arya and Ned yeah. probably wouldn't even What does be that able even to... mean? Yeah. Well, it means you can hand the Lannister guards their ass at the five to one odds, no problem. With the right. wooden sword! With the wooden yeah. sword! Yeah, it's great to see just Serial unleashed here. And he's spinning and grabbing capes and right. tossing people. It's oh, And, it's, and it's a clear contrast to a lot of what we've seen, you know, and maybe it, it, it makes you think about, like, what the the conversations Robert and Ned had about what would happen to the Dothraki came over because mm-hmm. you see this light, agile, nimble water dancer style right. easily defeating all these slow plate-clad knights um, mm-hmm. and, and soldiers. I, I It's, again... He's 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 the Boba Fett of the Game of Thrones universe. He's got like uh, five minutes of screen time, yet his yeah. his shadow looms over all. 
I do have to say it's a little surprising that a blow from a wooden sword to the head would take out a knight. Hmm. I I mean that's what helmets are there for, right? Right. To stop blows yeah. from damaging you. Now the, the the couple of like he like clearly shot like gave him a shot right to the throat. Like yeah, yeah. that'll disable yeah. you real quick. Uh, or if he did some other kind of joint manipulation. But, yeah, at the time where he just bashed him on the head with, like, a dowel rod. Right. But it's so cool it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, yeah. As soon as you think that, he spins and he flips and sure, you're like, oh, that's why I like this. Right. Yeah. It's – it's but, yeah, I, I – and, and this is not the only amazing sword fight uh, or, or, or fight we get in this episode, but uh, it's right. great. And, like, he's just – the whole thing, like, where he's got this really cool, and you think of, like, what is Ari going to take from these lessons going forward, where, you know, uh, well, my tongue lied, but my body told the truth, mm-hmm. and watching is not seeing, and calling her a dead girl, I thought that was awesome, and then, you know, just the line, with the you know, when Ari tries to get him to run, and he says, the first sword of Bravos does not run, mm-hmm. pretty badass, although, if he yeah. did run with Arya, that's a, that's a great what if. Yeah. Like, maybe he doesn't run, but maybe he can beat a strategic retreat. How about uh, that, Sirio? Right. You can spin that. Sure. sure. I, I didn't run. I, You're water dancing. I saw an Sometimes opportunity you lead. and I took it. Sometimes the other guy leads, and then you got to run off. I Yeah. I Right. What are you going to do? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, so we go to the next scene where Varys brings Ned some water in the dungeons and gives him an update on the status of his family and his men. Uh, the the update is not good. Arya can't be found. <laughs> Sansa's still promised to Joffrey, and his men are all dead. Oh, and by the way, icing on the cake, Tyrion escaped. So you don't even have that bargaining chip for your life. Right. Uh, it's it's bad news all around. I It's weird to see Varys dressed in... I guess dungeon keeper clothes. You know, in the books, there's it's replete with examples of people in disguise and dressing hmm. as other characters, and that's kind of one of Varys's shticks is that he's really? like a master disguiser. He's like the saint, uh, if I can if I can be forgiven for referencing a twenty year old Val Kilmer vehicle. Uh, uh, but he's yeah, or he's like Ethan Hunt, I guess. With the the okay. you're supposed to just buy yeah. that he can blend in and be different types of characters or here he's playing and i think this is like the only time in game of thrones history where they actually pay homage to that that book tradition right which is why it felt so weird to me and also again he they uh, it's weird because they kind of um completely lampshade it by not making any effort to do anything to disguise his appearance other than clothing right like this is straight up a superman swap uh-huh like oh you put your glass where where are you where did you go like yeah um i if they want to be true to the book, he would come in with like a fucking broken nose and scars on his face, and maybe he'd, he'd be made up to where he's unrecognizable. And he'd probably do. I would have paid good money to hear him do the Princess Bride, <laughs> like it's it's got the pit of despair, lot. And then he clears his throat. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I as a book reader, that that made me happy to see him at least wink at us for this history. Also, how else would they have the scene? I guess, why couldn't Varys just come visit the, yeah. you know? Like, I'm sure there's official reasons the spy master might interrogate a traitor. You would think so. 
So why the subterfuge? Maybe he didn't want anyone to know he was visiting Ned. Yeah. I'm just saying of all, of all the Double D's clever rewrites to, you know, avoid the this whole shit in disguise. Right. This one was a weird, like, seems like they could just, you know, straight up, well, I'm just here as I'm embarrassed. I'm trying, I'm, I'm officially getting a confession out of you. Unofficially, I'm, you know, doing whatever I'm doing for the realm. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like he doesn't even want to be recognized at all. Yeah. So he must, I guess he just doesn't want people knowing that he even talked to Ned. Well, and it does seem like, especially with the the current people in charge, that might yeah. not be wise. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of surprised that maybe maybe this is the thing that made him decide. Nope, there's no way we can do this. This mm-hmm. is dumb. Like this just doesn't work on camera. Maybe, uh, and he might want to keep this information from Littlefinger specifically because that's true. We know the contentious relationship they have at the right. Moment. I'm um, sure Littlefinger has a guard down in Probably. the black cells that enjoys a lady from time to time that, oh, yeah. that, that might be bribed with some gold and some uh some some teats yeah sure the golden teats <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and he brings up a pretty a pretty salient point here your mercy killed the king yeah uh and also yeah like everything the everything about your current position is because of everything about you. Yes. Like, you yes. are the problem, Ned. Yes. Your you mercy just play and the game. honor and all that stuff, like, look where it got you. Yeah. I'm glad that Cersei's wretched pups can can sleep soundly tonight because the realm are going to bleed. Uh, so, let's, talk, let's put our contemporary hats on. Okay. I mean, you can almost put your, like, season six hats on. Is Varys a good guy? Wow. Um, I mean, he's... And in as much as he's opposed to Littlefinger and Cersei mm-hmm. and the Lannisters at large, I think so. But he's but saying I don't know that. If he, right. I don't know if he's honest about that. And, and and I remember thinking back in the day, like, this scene comes hot on the heels of Serio uh, saying, you know, my lips lie, but my body betrays right. the truth. And I'm like, man, if I look back at Varys's actions, he talks a good game, but have I ever seen him do anything... Other than hand Ned a flat a, a wineskin mm-hmm. that shows that he would stick his neck out or do any you know it's like he's always bemoaning the actions of others but you know he's a toady he's a lickspittle we saw him give I guess bad counsel about killing Danny and just parroting whatever the king wants I, I I don't you know and also we know that he's destabilizing the realm right we know that from his conversation he had with Illyrio down in the 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 crypts of uh, the the Red Keep so. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a slippery, slippery guy, the spider. He is, and he he could be telling Ned the things that Ned wants to hear. Sure. To what end? Like, at this point, I guess that's the big question. Why is he down here fucking with Ned? Yeah. If he's trying to get him to own his crime so the realm doesn't bleed, that actually tracks clean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess that's, I guess maybe that's, that is an indicator that he is something of a good guy he might be a pragmatist but he's he's good yeah i mean maybe he does want ned up in the north ruling winterfell i mean he did a good job of that anyway yeah uh okay let's move on to the brothers dragging a couple bodies into castle black uh it's kind of strange that they don't smell rotten after being out there for so long and gior tells him to bring the bodies inside to examine them and then gets a message that there's a raven waiting for him from King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, so you may be a coward, Tarly, but you're not stupid. And <laughs> Sam's like, thank you. You may be fat, and you may be slow <laughs> on your feet, and useless with weapons, Tarly. But your brain works okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I this is this this is a cool scene because it is sta- like like not just a scene but this whole arc um does a lot of things that to establish the lore of the whites mm-hmm. and if you're very if you're new to the show uh and this podcast like I, a, a gentle reminder is um when they're talking about whites uh they're talking about w i g h t which is like like an old english word for ghost or zombie or animated corpse or something spooky to climb out of the grave right and and it's not to be confused with the white walkers which are the the ice zombie things that uh you know menace the rangers in the first episode yeah so um just just try to keep those when you're when hearing whites and white walkers are not the same thing white walkers make whites out of dead bodies uh the reverse is not true yeah that's very confusing i think if you don't have that explained to you yeah yeah. Um, because they don't actually use the terms interchangeably, but I know. it's easy to make that mistake. Because they're they're homophones. And the other thing yeah. is the in the books they're called the others. Which I think is a cooler name anyway because but Lost it, did it and That's that the, that's work. so dumb. <laughs> that did, did I mean where do you come I don't know down if that's on that? The reason, but... No, no, seriously, they said they didn't want to confuse really? people with the others, like, oh well maybe they're here. I, uh, that white walker looked a little of... like Benjamin Linus to me, <laughs> just a bit. I, I it's just, in the eyes. I just think that's. I just. I just think that's dumb. That's like. Yeah, I'm with you. If if you think that your audience is that much of a mouth breathing yokel, then you know. Like, are you just avoiding the jokes? Like, yeah, because are you avoiding the memes on the internet, like what? Because like if, I don't understand. If, you're, if you if you don't want to confuse people, you wouldn't call them White Walkers and Whites. Yeah, that happen to be what we you know. There's another show called The Walking Dead, and they are called Walkers and all this other stuff. And these things look like fucking zombies. Like, come on, man. Which is which yeah, how is the? Far are you going to go with that? Right, right. I don't know. I, I always thought the others is cool. It sounded alien and otherwise, and also it doesn't fucking rhyme with white. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could not call them white. So you, since you renamed the, the the White Walkers, you could call them something else too. Yeah. The yeah. When I first started watching this, I thought the White Walkers were the proper name for all of those sure, creatures, yeah. and that they called them whites for short. Yeah. Exactly. Why but, wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. But these these are uh, proto whites. They're not they're not whites yet. Right. Uh, they will be by the end of this episode. They're the sleeper whites, <laughs> or at least one of them will be. Yes. Uh, okay, so Gior takes John inside, and he reads the letter to him, and he says that the king is dead, or the, the letter says the king is dead, and his father is accused of treason, and Gior tells him, don't do anything stupid, mm, which John can't help. Tell Stark John, not to do something stupid, just like waving a red flag to the uh, bull. Especially one with his mouth this far open. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I, like, there's a normal variation, three to five millimeters, but yeah. you open your lips. Yep. I see you've done some research. I, well, I got an email from a dentist. Yeah, same, same time <laughs> okay. here. Uh, no, that that is, yeah. You're, I don't, I don't know. It's like you, you know, it'd be stupid to not do something stupid. Yeah, that's the uh, winter is coming. It's not. That's that's like you know the the Lannisters is hear me roar, but their unofficial motto is Lannister pays his debts. Mm-hmm. Uh, House Stark's unofficial words would be something like uh, "Hold my beer." <laughs> Or you know, watch, you know, my watch beard. Watch yeah. this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, we go to Cersei. Hold, or be horn Hold my horn Oh, of course. Yeah. And watch this. So we go to Cersei and the High Council, trying to figure out what to do with Sansa. Pycelle wants to kill her. Littlefinger wants to keep her around. Cersei tells Sansa to get her brother Rob to come to King's Landing and uh, has her write a letter. 
that she's going to send off on a raven. Yeah. And so it's funny because the small council, this plays like theater. Like it's such poor acting of the highest order, Mm -hmm. but Sansa completely falls for it. And you, you buy it because she's 14 or a girl in front of all these extremely powerful people. Yeah. And you got, you know, yeah, they're playing good cop, bad cop sort of thing. Um, just to get her to do what they want. Right. And, and you know, Catelyn later susses that out immediately. She sees, oh, there's a letter sure. from Sansa. You mean Cersei. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's also, like, classic, you know, this conditioning and grooming and brainwashing. The whole, like, any time that she expresses any kind of desire to do the thing you want her to do, you shower with love. And any time she asks mm-hmm. even reasonable accommodations, you just come down on it, like, you know, like, oh, you're so disappointing. Here right. we just got done explaining to what a traitor your father is, and you want to talk to him. How does that look, <laughs> Sansa? Like this is fucking yeah. Mean Girls one hundred and one, but it works. It works. Yeah, it's interesting that Littlefinger is the one to to take the uh, lobbying for Sansa tact here, because mm. I I feel like there's some kind of loyalty to the Starks there. I, I know like you're. You're all about the revenge line. Mm-hmm. I'm all about the maybe kind of still loving Catelyn line mm-hmm. for Littlefinger, and I, th- I think that's reflected a little here in this scene. It is an interest. It is a definitely mildly interesting choice that uh, he he is the one that's defending Sansa here. Yeah, I agree. I think that is significant. Okay. Uh, what about Pycelle? Pycelle just wants off with her head. Or Fucking Pycelle. He's just in full. Rump. <laughs> I mean, just this, you know, yeah. the the boy traitor's blood. He's yeah, he's disgusting. Okay, uh, so Rob gets Sansa's letter. Somebody needs to grab him by the beard and throw him down a staircase. <laughs> That'd probably kill that old man. Break his hip at least, and they're at done, least. done for. Yeah. So Rob gets Sansa's letter and decides to attack King's Landing and take back his family. He sends a billion ravens to rally the banners. It's kind of a pretty short scene here uh i thought uh, the thing that kind of shocked me is maester lewin seemed pleased with his behavior yeah he comes tottering and he's like this is a royal decree and it's going to be some shit if you don't answer it and rob's like oh i'll answer it all right hold my flag in a veil uh, and master Eamon's like right on right on yeah like his, his, uh not not Eamon, lewin but oh sorry yeah, sorry i know, I know what you mean so he, so so did, did the stark stupidity just seep in like the chain, the chain offered no protection to the maester. I mean, I guess it depends on how loyal you think Lewin is to this family. I mean, well, he doesn't uh, want to see Ned killed. He doesn't want to see the daughters killed. He doesn't. Also, I, I mean, I'm talking a lot of shit here, but as I think Rob and Cat lay out in this, a scene forthcoming, this mm-hmm. is kind of their only play. Right. If he goes and obeys the summons, then I, I think he was pleased because he was about to explain to Rob, like, of course, if you go and obey the summons, you're probably not ever getting out and you're probably yeah. going to die. At the, at the best, you're going to be a hostage along with your father for the rest of your life to keep Bran and Rickon in line. At uh-huh. worst, you're going to get, you know, they already have your dad, so they'll just kill you and gouge out, gouge out your eyes and draw and quarter you. Right. And the fact that Rob kind of already knew that. You know he's he's taught these boys since they've been born the 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 to to you know rise to this occasion and they're doing it yeah and Theon's all all aboard too well of course he is he's gung ho he's marching I, south I, I to really... go see Roz again you know he's got he's got another <laughs> right. three coppers in his pocket uh-huh. and he's like oh boy he's yeah. gonna get a glimpse of Bush uh, <laughs> so I I really like the lines you know the the lines that they trade at the end you know rob says hey we're gonna go take king's landing i'm gonna get all right. my men i'm gonna go do this thing 
then Theon's like, are you scared? And Rob looks at his shaking hand. Mm. I guess so. Theon's like, good, that means you're not stupid. Right. And th- that's, this is all cliches, but I, I think yeah. sometimes it's appropriate to give cliches. Yeah, and, and I think the actors pull it off. Yep. And it, the it, shaky hand is a nice touch. It was, yeah. It starts to really get me in the mood for war. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, these are not it. And also, you know, again, talking a lot of shit about the Starks, but also these are not these are not stupid men. Uh-huh. These are fairly brave, intelligent, virtuous people going into a just war. That's what, mm-hmm. you know, what's there not to cheer about? So Catelyn finds out about Rob's plan and that her sister is not going to support the effort. And she tries to convince her, but fails miserably. And then Robin gets his bath and his meal. Ugh. Ugh. I'm a... Oh, God, this kid. It's <laughs> the worst. If he, had, un- if he had a beard, untired. you should grab him by it and throw him down the staircase. <laughs> That's just the go-to move in this world. <laughs> right, but but he doesn't have the beard. I don't know what you do. Not yet. You get him by his Beatles haircut and toss him down. <sighs> Man. It's gross. Uh, and Catelyn's rightfully angry here, you know? What, what do you think about her choice not to go, not to pursue this? Not to support Rob in his attack on King's Landing. Oh, I think it's smart. You think so? Um, from her perspective, but after you know, they killed her husband, yeah, and she, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, because she's like, "Well, I'm not going to follow." You know, essentially f- follow after Ned on some damn fool idealistic crusade, right? But the last time it worked out pretty good. Like, your husband didn't die in that war. He died. He died to these. If you think yeah. the skullduggery of the Lannisters, then why wouldn't you want to raise your banner? Why do you think you're so safe? I mean, she's bought into this idea that this the Eerie is impregnable, obviously. Sure. And she's got yeah. these st- stout lords, and if we just maintain re- neutrality, why would anyone fuck with us? And she's probably right. Like, Yeah, but it strikes me more as fear. I, I think, like, she would want revenge for her husband. Uh, and I'm not sure why she's not taking an opportunity where... There are already many, many troops rallied. Yeah. She can just add to it and get her revenge. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely I think she's afraid. they're definitely painting her as a different cat. No pun intended. Sure. <laughs> they're they're painting her as like you know strange, like everything about her, her yeah. appearance, the fact that she's breastfeeding her child, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the tender age of nine or ten or however old this fucker is. Um, they're they're showing her that she's just not cut from the same cloth as our other you know, quote unquote heroic characters. Right. So I think, you know, the, the question you ask yourself is if she's afraid, does hiding in the veil work? And I kind of think it would like who, if she maintains neutrality, Uh she didn't like, and now like if Tyrion had died there, I don't know what Tywin does there because, you know, but, but the fact that he's out, I don't know that anyone comes and punishes the veil. Right. It's a tough nut to crack for very little gain. Yeah. It just feels like she turned around pretty fast on this whole Lannister killing thing. Hmm. And I don't know why. I don't know because from Varys the cons- like from the involved. moment we met her, she was essentially ranting and raving that I tried to get as far away from the Lannisters and you brought one in my home. Kind of like I'm trying. I, I feel like it's consistent with what she's saying and trying to stay out of this, trying to protect her feeble son, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Okay. We go to Tyrion and Bronn, who are walking through the woods, and they kind of spell out their relationship a little more clearly here. Bronn is the sellsword, and Tyrion is the rich guy paying him. Later on, they're found by some hill tribes who want to kill them. Tyrion tells them who he is, and he promises to give them lands, uh, all, all the lands they're living in here, which is the Vale of Arryn, or Arryn, if they help him out. Um, we already talked about the Bronn and Tyrion show and how it's kind of you know rewarding to watch. Um, what yeah, do you I, think? I, I do like their their interactions here, though. It's it's 
entertaining and it does a lot to to show you Braun's motives, I guess. Because we yeah. didn't really know why he would help out Tyrion. I think we did, but they didn't spell it out. And now this they is the three yeah. this is the third step and third step reveal. Right. Like, and it, you know, it's good to be rich. He's like yeah. Tyrion's like, whatever the price, yes. if you decide to betray me, I'll beat it. I'll I can do better. I'm the richest person in the kingdom. Right. And Tyrion, you know, as a rich man can't foresee how where or how this strategy will ever break down. Yeah. Um, very self-satisfied here. <laughs> do you what what do you make of his offer to the hill tribes of the Vale? Well, I mean, it we, seems like it's essentially like this deal that that uh, you know great superpowers often make with uh, backwater cultures. Like we'll arm you to go fuck with someone that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh do you, I mean, I guess, do you think Tywin, is Tywin going to uphold his, his deal that he makes with the son? Is Tywin cynically manipulating the, them? Like, where, what were you thinking when we when you first watched this? I mean, if Tywin has any respect for, or, or if Tywin has any regard for the respect of his family, he's got to honor his debts. I mean, that's, that's the whole Lannister thing, right? Sure. The, the informal Lannister house words, they always pay their debts. I think he's got to follow through with this. I'm I'm imagining what he hopes will happen is that all of these guys will fight and die. See, and that's there will be no one left to give lands to. That's exactly what I'm thinking because I hear other in other parts of the episode are talking about the vanguard, and if you don't know, the vanguard is like bears the 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 brunt of the the right. the, the initial thrust mm-hmm. uh, and their kind losses. The it's wave. it's it's also paradoxically seen as a great honor, and yet you're also ba- you know very high likelihood of dying. And I I could see Tywin putting him and them in the tip of the spear. Right. So, you know. That's a great honor. Right, right. And if maybe there's a half dozen you guys left, oh, shit, you know, got confused in the friendly fire. You weren't wearing proper uniforms. There's irregularities all around. Yeah. Like, I could see Tywin doing something like that. On the other hand, what's it to him that they get 3,000 swords and gorgets and shields? Well, I mean, they... He also promises the things that Tyrion promised, which are the lands, the the Vale of Aaron, and I, he's going to have to oust Lysa oh, for see, that, right? Like, but see, I I thought that he, my interpretation of Tyrion's promise was that I'm going to give you the things you need to fight against the lords of the Vale and depose mm-hmm. them. I'm not going to okay. give it to myself, right? But I don't know. I mean, if you got that interpretation, then. It's by definition a valid one. Well, uh, okay. So, what does this do to the equation? Like coming out of of the scene with Liza, where she is unwilling to commit troops to to fight Tywin, and now Tywin is promising yes the, her lands to these clans people. Like it is an interesting question of if and, and if she will find out about this and what she will do. Yeah. Because the other thing is, I think if we if you go down another layer, that I don't think the gap between the Knights of the Vale and the Hill Tribes are their weapons and armor. Like, I, I think that the Lords of the Vale probably has decisive advantage in tactics. Oh, yeah. In, you know, strat like, that they hold all the open uh, uh, and, and viable and attractive places in the Vale. You're going to have to take it from and You're going to have to fight them on their own terms. And they presumably have horses. It looks like these people ride and eat goats. Like they ride goats. Oh, Damn, that's, that's, they certainly Some feed big you. goats in the veil. There's well, you know, you 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 feed them testicles. That just pumps them full of testosterone, and it's it's uh, an early form of hormonal therapy for your for your livestock. Very controversial. A lot a lot of Westerosi. They want the organic, all natural, <laughs> farm to table, ethically responsibly sourced goat meat. 
Hill tribes, people don't care. It's all about the bigger, the better. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that um, t- even Tyrion's like, well, if we're going to give you a bunch of weapons and armor, you're not going to know how to, and, and yeah. you're going to go f- kill yourselves because the Knights right. of Vale will cut you down. Yeah. Yeah, that that seems about right. Uh, so at the wall, Alistair taunts John into attacking him, and Giorkin finds him to his quarters. Later that night, Ghost is acting up, and John grabs his sword and follows him. Uh, and he's led to Gior's quarters, where he's attacked by one of the dead bodies from north of the wall. He tries to kill it with his sword, but he can't, so he burns it up. Yeah, with a lantern. So, where do you come? That what John Snow's behavior? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you give him a pass for trying to swing a knife at? Uh... No, no, yeah, no. I mean, at the very least, you should realize what this guy is trying to do, and not play into his fucking hand. Yeah, yeah. John's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's... Top to bottom, John's just a... a As a man who's lost his temper ass. under less provocation and less dire, like, you know, the fact that your whole house has been cut to ribbons and now this guy's rubbing it into you and we're supposed to be brothers and what the fuck, man. Um, right. I, I, I can't fully throw John under the bus here. Okay. Like, I, and, I thought, and again, like, uh, I get the Lord Commander's got a, you know, he's got a plan with this guy. And and he's, you know, getting a bunch of rough and ready recruits whipped into shape. But at what point do you like, hey, fucker, you know, I've got plans for this guy. I made him a steward. Would you quit fucking with him? Right, yeah. But on the other hand, maybe this is part of his, his – he needs to learn to cool it with this. Yeah, he needs to learn patience. He needs to yeah. cool his temper. Yeah. Uh, he needs to learn to think on his feet a little right. bit. Yeah. And also, you know, again, I think at this stage, John is a teenager, too. Like, I think we're supposed to understand right. that he's late teen, so he's he's full of the go-go juice. And yeah. he's been eating a lot of goat testicles, and he's just all just all ramped up. Yeah, well, he disobeyed two orders in this scene. That's the thing. The thing that the Lord commanded, the, the head cheese tells you, don't do anything stupid. Not only is this something stupid, but as you said, it's exactly what the guy wants. It's exactly yeah. what Alistair Thorne wants. So, like, why would you give them the satisfaction? Because you're dumb. I know, and that's the thing. John's like, dumb. plenty of people do, and that's the yeah. thing is it's it's a dumb. It's it's dumb. When but you it, lose it's your temper, not, it's, it's... Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, something that I think he wouldn't do. Right. I think it's it well is consistent his character. with his character. He's sure. just not a smart guy at the moment. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. He's a hothead. He is. Uh, he he disor he disobeys two orders here. One is uh, he attack he does something stupid he attacks Alistair, and two he leaves his quarters. He got confined to quarters and mm. he just leaves. Now I think Gior is going to overlook that. <laughs> I don't know. This given is, that he essentially be, saved his life. Well, you and I both know that uh, episode nine begins with John ha- uh, Snow hanging from the gallows. Right, he's swinging. Yep. Yeah. Feet dangling, but it's, his neck's too thick. It doesn't do anything to him. It's too uh, thick it's like and Frank stiff. Reynolds. It's too thick. It's thick and <laughs> oh god. Um. Yep. It's always sunny at the wall. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, I I think that yeah he'll overlook that that latest transgression. Might even be rewarded. So what do you think about not being able to kill this thing with a sword? Could he could he chop its head off? Would that do it? Like it doesn't seem like it. In fact, the big question is. What about shoving the sword through his chest? Because it kind of did disable the white initially. It, it made yeah. the white fall. Like, is there? I mean, 
or was it playing dead to try to get a tactical advantage? Yeah, How smart it, are these whites? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is uh, I guess I remembered these guys being slower and more shambly. Uh-huh. And, but he was actually I made a point that like he moved with purpose and power, and mm-hmm. and he seemed like he was was almost unnaturally fast and strong because he was like really taking it to to John. Like he was yeah. choking the life out of him. I don't. That's why I say I don't think it's a tactical advantage because he was choking the life out of John. John stabbed him in the gut. He falls down. Right. <laughs> so if if he was attempting a tackle advantage, then he's already got the then, advantage. Then he's like, yeah, he's <laughs> below Stark levels of intelligence at this point. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. But um, so yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on with them. But yeah, uh, the other thing we've learned about burning them works because yeah. they mentioned like the wildlings burn them. Yes, uh, it goes up like a fucking wicker lacquer of- furniture, man. Yeah, like a box, like he lit a box of, of a matches U-Haul. on fire. Yeah. Uh, and you know, later on they burn the other one. The other one doesn't seem to wake up. I that is don't an understand it, yeah. That. That's you're introduced to the concept of these two guys. You wonder like what happened to the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, I I contemporarily I was worried for Master Eamon because I thought we were going to cut to you know like oh. John's there to save him, but these were supposed to be in his quarters being studied. I thought we were going to find. Maester Eamon. Uh, oh, maybe Maester Eamon brought having it back. His, his his head ripped off. Is there any chance that Maester Eamon's evil and he brought this thing back to kill Gior? <laughs> well, he wears black robes. It's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that says evil wizard to me. Yeah, he's probably doing all this. <laughs> Could be. So we go over to Essos, and Danny's observing the Dothraki taking slaves. She's very displeased with this, so she claims all the women as her own, which. It's not exactly in line with Dothraki cultural customs. No. Uh, Drogo finds out, and she's called before him to kind of explain herself. Drogo sides with Danny instead of this dude who wanted to take the slave woman, uh, and so he insults Drogo. Drogo kills the guy. He's injured in the process and allows some slave woman, who may or may not be a witch, to treat <laughs> his wounds. Reasonable Dothraki can agree disagree, can, can disagree <laughs> on the whole witch, uh, God's yeah. wife question. This scene is badass, man. Yeah, top to bottom, I like it. Drogo takes this guy apart, uh, and and as as he's ritually disarming himself, beats him, uh, kills the guy with his own sword, rips his tongue out while he's doing it. I was worried for his ponytail. Yeah, because he's swinging around, that thing's waving in the wind. That's you true. Might what cut if, it right off, and then then what? You you win the yeah. you win the battle, lose the war, right? The braid, anyway. Yeah, you've been building that thing your whole life. It's like, can you imagine him explaining that in polite Dothraki society? Oh, Drogo, he got your ass beat. No, man, you should see the other guy. (laughs) Well, I can see you got no ponytail, so, Uh you know, that's a a defeat, sir, son. Yep. Uh, And I also like, I don't know, it, it feels a little strange coming from what I still view as a little girl, but Daenerys is coming into her own and she's taking some authority herself she's she's presenting a very strong right uh personality here and i like it what i noticed is what i thought was conspicuous is the fact that cal drogo is not really taking anything she says seriously like you can see not like exactly, he's he's right. thinking of the matter through and like what is this bullshit that she's talking about um, um trying to I, explain like this is the way it's done yeah and she and then he finally laughs it off as like oh see my son's in her belly pumping her full of the goat juice right. uh she's 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 talking out of her gourd it 
you you wonder where is this relationship going because like you you know like i think even um it's it's a, it's a cruel lesson in real politic because jora says you know where do you where do you think that we're going to get the money to buy the ships that we need to get right. you your kingdom back like this is this is kind of like hey Khaleesi, this is kind of how the sausage is made right this is sort of what you wanted you've been pushing for this this is how it's got to get done right uh yeah I, I I get the feeling that if this guy hadn't spit at Drogo and called his wife a foreigner for a foreign uh, whore dis, disrespected her does, does he say foreign whore yeah he says and and also he he also disrespects uh Cal Drogo's masculinity because he's like any oh, cow yeah. that would listen to his foreign whore right is no cow at all well okay things might have gone his way if he just kept his cool for like ten more seconds sure. Sure. But, yeah, you wonder ultimately what I mean. I think Drogo is ready to dismiss this, but like, what do you do with the next city sacking? And what do you do with the next city sacking? And, yeah, yeah. You know, eventually the, your men, all of your men, are going to come to you and say the other thing this is this isn't cool. With Cal Drogo's speech, it's like we were talking about last week. It's like a, you get to the point where it's like, yeah, this is awesome until he goes off the deep end. You wonder what Danny was thinking. Like, did she think this was all hyperbole? What like do you when mean? he 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 pledged to go pull down, you know, uh, oh, take right. the children yeah, as rape, slaves and, and rape, rape the women. The women. Yeah. And conspicuously, uh-huh. we see her walking past a child with a leash on, and he's tied to some pole, and a bunch of women being raped. Right? Like, did she think that? Oh, that's just a figure of speech. Mm. Like yeah. when you know, like my dad came and all countless times threatened to tear me a new asshole. Mm-hmm. I still have the one asshole. <laughs> Thus, I would submit that, that his words were hyperbole. Right. <laughs> Drogo, not so much. Right. So, yeah, I, I wonder to what extent she, this was still kind of a cultural thing where it's like, well, sure, they're rough and tumble wars, but how would she know? She's like very, mm-hmm. I mean, again, in the books, 13, 14, in the series, I think, what do you think? She's supposed to be 17, 18? Maybe. And she's grown yeah. up cover, you know, cowering under her brother's fist. Like, how the hell would she know? This, yeah. this might be like awakening for her. Could be. Uh, but, you know, she gets her way eventually. So sure. what kind of awakening can she really have? Right. Um, I also love Drogo's, like, when she's saying, please, son of my, uh, my son and stars, it hurts me to see you bleed. And, like, Drogo gives this perfect, like, can you believe this shit face? Like, can, can you believe the shit I'm putting up with right now? Fine. Uh, fucking clean out the wound. <laughs> because to be fair, like, I thought the whole, it's like, this is, this is a scratch. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely in modern times would need stitches for sure. Eh. Uh, it's it's a pretty deep cut. Does but... it need stitches? Yeah, if you wanted to look pretty, right? Yeah, <laughs> Majorga doesn't give a shit about that. No, I think scars are very cool in Dothraki, in Dothraki culture. Yeah, sure. And also, it's like that's the thing. Like they didn't. It was instructive to see how their the, the the reason this philosophy all carried through is like they didn't consider what they're doing wrong because they see these land men as beneath them. Mm-hmm. Like almost a different species. Like that's that. Like you can't have slavery and 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 stuff like that without dehumanizing. Because if you grant oh, right. them their full humanity, you start yeah. asking some very uncomfortable questions. Sure, uh, questions that I don't think can be avoided. <laughs> They're regardless of your excuses. Right? How far but... up your head do you stick your your up your ass? Yeah. You stick your head. Sure. Uh, we go over to the dinner with all of Rob's bannermen. Uh, some time must have passed here. I mean, quite quite a bit of time because he's gathered all the bannermen from the north. Uh, Lord Umber is trying to persuade Rob to let him lead the vanguard, and when he threatens to take his men and go home, Rob calls him an oathbreaker, 
And Lord Umber pulls a knife, and Ghost jumps up and bites off two of his fingers, and somehow that changes his mind. Not or, sorry, sorry, yeah. I'm so used to seeing Ghost on the sure. screen. Sure, it's like the Maesters. You get him confused. I do, yeah. Uh, yeah, Grey Wind takes two of his fingers, and somehow that changes his mind and his attitude. He's he's happy about losing these two fingers now. I mean, this gives you perspective on how things are seen in the North. Like, we just talked about how, sure. like, Tyrion, the smart character, does not want to be part of any kind of vanguard or frontline assault. Karstark mm-hmm. is jockeying for the honor of, of uh, you know, going and being the first ones to shed blood on behalf of his lord. Uh, and also the fact that he is, he thinks this is funny, that, like, he misun- he he underestimated Rob and got his fingers bitten off, which shows that he was wrong to disrespect Rob, because Rob is worried of his... It's, it's a fucking I weird culture, but... Might it, makes right sort of thing? Yeah, that... it, it does. Like, well, I, you know, if I could have stuck this boy and nobody would stop me, then what kind of what kind of leader sure. is he? Yeah. What kind of what kind of a lord is he? But, you know, his, his dog set me straight, so okay. Yeah, I just don't... I've never quite understood the transfer of respect from dog to human here. Right. Like, both, both here and in other scenes in this show, like, they're viewed as a single entity. Yeah, but like, I guess because it's like... Rob's dog bit my fingers off, Rob has my respect. Right. He didn't command him to do it, and I don't know. I th- I did, that doesn't it, make Rob more today. tough. You're, you're walking down the road and you see some bad motherfucker with like a pit bull on a chain, mm-hmm. and his dog. Well, is, this is a mad dog, right? Just bunch of snapping, and you're you're like, I'm afraid of the dog, but also I'm afraid of the guy who owns a beast such as this and has bent it to his will. But but let's say okay, let's say. Richard from Silicon Valley is okay. walking down the street, and he has a Rottweiler or a pit bull right. on a chain, and it's snapping and drooling, and it takes two of your fingers off. I don't think Richard's a badass. I'm afraid of his dog. I mean, that's like it's, you know... Like, I don't have respect for someone for owning a thing. What about a gun? Like, what if he's really good at gun? I mean, you know, it's all kind of wrapped up if he's really good with a gun and knows how to use it yeah but the gun doesn't have a mind of its own where the dog does right so i'm more afraid of the dog because the gun won't kill you know well it's the famous guns don't kill people people do dogs just kill you sure they don't think (laughs) twice Uh, i don't know yeah i mean feels a little strange it is it's like just some kind of intransitive or transitive property that this animal is badass and this animal owes allegiance to well i mean that's the other thing like cal drogo we we didn't talk about this aspect of his fight that he had with Mago, mm-hmm. but every one of his blood riders are going to step to this guy. Like you just, oh, right. I'm yeah. we're going. Drogo doesn't have to break a sweat. We're going to break you down for talking shit about our guy. Uh-huh. And Drogo's like, no, no, I do this myself. I part of that is like, you know, if you if if you're surrounded by badasses, will die for you. You kind of are badass. Sure. So that's like a that the direwolf is a, a small version of that. I, yeah, I don't know. Dogs are, in my opinion, not capable of giving you the same type of respect okay. that a human would. So, like, a dog doesn't acknowledge when you're badass, right? What and if say, what? "Oh, that guy's so badass, I need to be"? <laughs> Is this his funny buddy. to me? So, like, what if Richard from Silicon Valley has like a Terminator? Okay. Is he a badass then? Well, the Terminator can be programmed to be his his yes slave essentially. Yes. Right? Yes. No, he's still not badass. He's smart, maybe if he can program a Terminator to. I don't know. Bidding. It's like John Connor in T two, and he's like he's having those tough guys. He's having Arnold break that guy's arm. Like he's kind of a badass. When I think of badass, I think of people who are capable within their own skin, right? Like so, UFC fighters, uh, martial arts experts, those mm. types of people. 
Uh, and also people who are, you know, have personalities that are hmm. formidable, like a okay. Tywin. Well, there you go. You don't think Rob has a formidable personality? Is he not? No, I sh- do, but I'm just saying the dog doesn't, I don't know where the dog factors in. Because the other thing about it, if we want to, you know, steer this away from an uninteresting debate about badassery, right. we've right. done that. We, we've, we recorded several podcasts back in the old Blue Yonder days. Um, maybe it's because Rob had the advantage over this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only have you committed a capital crime, but my dog's got half your arm down his throat. Uh-huh. He could have very easily just killed this guy. He's been an asshole to me a couple times and insulting, uh, but he doesn't. And that, the fact that he does have control, like I feel like the people that tend to fly off the handle over-respect the type of people that are more even keel and can make these cold, calculating decisions even when they're angry. Hmm. So it's like... Okay. It's not just the wolf. It's just all this combat. The way he handled this is very much the way a leader would handle it. The way yeah. a, a legitimately tough and strong person that doesn't have to bully, doesn't have to demand, doesn't have to cajole. He just says it the way it is. I don't know. And I think it's also the other lords standing around him, right? Like these other lords have rallied behind him. Sure. Lord Umber starts to feel a little out of place. But what here. if Rob missed? That's the that's the interesting question. What if Rob misplays this? How long? Do people give him the benefit of Ned Stark's, you right. know, proven track record of being an awesome lord? Mm-hmm. Like, I bet there's a lot of whispers in camp if if he doesn't play this just right. Sure. And I feel like he did. Like, by northern yeah. standards, played this just right. All right. Um, Rob wakes Bran to tell him that he's leaving. And Rob tells him that he's the Stark in Winterfell until he returns. And that he must not leave until then. Very important. Rickon comes in and tells Bran that Rob and his men aren't coming back. I don't know how he knows that. The child's intuition. I guess. Is that what I'm supposed to believe? Is it supposed to be ominous? Like, he may or may not know what he's talking about, but he says it, and that's a creepy thing. I don't know. Some people are naturally optimistic. That's that's true. It does sound like when a child says something ominous, it does seem extra creepy. But also, like, you know, some kids are more naturally optimist and are willing to believe bullshit lies, and some kids are the ones that are... uh, you know, pro- proto cynics, and they don't want to be comforted. Like they, yeah. they take comfort in like embracing the worst that could happen and starting to mentally deal with it. Sure, maybe Rickon's that kind of kid. Uh, but well, also, I it's just creepy. When Rickon comes in, Bran's like, "Who are you again?" <laughs> oh, oh, you're the kid whose hair the king tousled. Sure, sure. That one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Rickon doesn't get a lot brother. of screen time. No, sure. he really doesn't. He gets like one line here. Uh, so we go over to Bran praying for his family at the Weirwood Tree when the wildling girl, who I'm I'm not sure we actually know her name yet. It's Asha. Okay. Uh, whatever. I don't think that's a spoiler. Mm-mm. Just have something to call her. No, uh, it's she, definitely not a spoiler. She comes up and starts saying some cryptic shit about the gods, answering prayers via the wind, <laughs> and how the Weirwood Trees don't have eyes because they were carved out. Uh, Hodor comes up completely naked and sends uh, Bran sends him to find his clothes, then the wildling tells Bran that Rob's men should be heading north, not south. I think we got the rare all cock, no boob episode of Game of Thrones. We did, yeah. And like you know, just the, the cock's two to one already, uh, just yeah. by the nature of its giant's blood, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you want to talk about this? It's it's just a bunch of like ominous, cryptic shit about the northern gods, and yeah, it's so hard for me to deal with this talk because mm-hmm. it's. It's about as fantasy as fantasy gets for me. Right. And this was early goings. Like, yeah. 
Uh, did you watch? Where I was your very much like, go yeah. Rob, go yeah. Tyrion, go yeah. like everything that's realistic about this world, and then they throw werewoods with carved eyes and wind talkers into it, and I'm like, mm. but this is something that um, it's so interesting that this early on in the episode we have a character espousing, uh, you know that y'all heading the wrong way. The real right, war yeah. is at North. It won't be the last. That is a spoiler, but I'm assuming if you're starting Game of Thrones this late, you kind of, you kind of know. Um, it takes, winters take, it takes a long time to come. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, the fact that they're always beating this drum in the, in, in the background. Yeah. I mean, you've got the Game of Thrones happening in the South. Yeah. Or, you know, it kind of in the middle, in mm-hmm. the belt of, of this place. Uh, at King's Landing, and then you've got the truly scary things mm-hmm. in a lot of people's opinions happening up north. You got right. whites coming back from the dead and trying to kill people. You've right. got God knows what going on north of the Wall. Right. Uh, it, it's kind of two different worlds at this point, and and the North men are stuck in the middle. And I think that's a neat part of the world building they do here too, because um, you're slowly realizing things about like this is a this is a lived in inhabited world. Like mm-hmm. you know, you'll eventually come to appreciate, especially if you go and watch the bonus features on Blu-ray, that you know, once upon a time there's these creatures called the Children of the Forest. This is all legend that populated Westeros. The first men came uh, along a land bridge that connected uh, mm-hmm. Westeros to Essos, and they started cutting down these children's gods, the weirwood trees. Uh, they fought a brutal war. Eventually, a peace was formed, and the, the first men kind of followed those old gods. Thousands of years later, the Andals came, which you've heard referred to in, like, you know, Robert's full titles. Uh, they came, and they have the faith of the seven. Uh, and they in, eventually fight the, the first men, and they take over half the continent, and the first men are able to throw them back at the neck, which is why today the North still worships these old gods and these weirwood trees and why the South does not. In fact, the South has largely cut down all their weirwoods, which is why Asha says, if you go South, the gods can't hear you. Mm-hmm. That stuff is all super interesting and fascinating. Like this, That's just part of the world that's baked in. Right. Um, and I think it's that's why it, it really gets a hold of people, because it's like, man... You can keep tugging those strings and be on a wiki of ice and fire for six hours later. Mm-hmm. You emerge gasping, covered in sweat, and like, where where have I been? What have I, at least that's for a lore whore like me. That's the stuff that really grabbed me. Yeah, like I want to know it's more. Kind of the other side of it, like I'm in. You like the, the intrigue and the military and the, yeah. spectacle? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely a southerner at heart. Sure, <laughs> sure. So they burn the bodies of what Sam believes to be white. Whites, not whites. white walkers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he tells him Don't that muddy the water. he knows a thing or two about them because he reads books. The D&D monster manual, mostly. Yeah. He's memorized it. Every stat, knows the HP for the whites and the white walkers. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty high. Knows what powers they're weak to. <laughs> then he ominously says, when they wake up, I hope the wall's high enough and we get a... Looks pretty goddamn high. It's pretty high. Pretty high. Although it's it's tiered. It looks almost tiered here. You know, that's the thing. Like, Maybe they could get a ladder up to the first tier and keep climbing. Yeah, you know, it's weird because this the way they depicted the wall here, I don't think it's really depicted that way ever. Yeah, it was a little like, strange. It's, it's a little trellised, but not as, as – I mean, and maybe it's just the angle. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other interesting thing is, is this wall is actually half as high as George Martin – intended to be it's like the oh. way it's modeled is like 350 to 400 feet tall it's supposed to be like 700 feet damn 
And <laughs> I guess like when the the guys started visualizing this and they showed picture George pictures, George's like, oh shit, yeah, that's really super high. That's like un like unbelievably high. <laughs> he was he wanted them to cut it down. Yeah, right? well they 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 huh. ended up doing it, but I think unbelievably high in a fantasy world. What are we even talking about, George? It's like if you ever see like the artist depiction that George like the one he likes most about the the Iron Throne. It's just this massive sprawling. Hmm. fucking warhammer 40k looking thing yeah that's just like like joffrey he's like a speck when he sits on it just this towering thing of that and then you see the fairly modest version that they come up with it's it's a lot it's it's a choice towards believability yeah and they did it a lot because martin's always loving people running around with fucking purple forked beards and gold teeth and right. fucking dreadlocks and like all this crazy like oh my god and then he's 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 wearing purple and gold and he looks like some kind of rejected Batman supervillain and then uh-huh. and then he shows up and he's just wearing like the same brown leather jerkins ever that's probably a smart choice. Yeah, I think it grounds it a little more in reality. Yeah. Uh probably not a lot of purple beards going around in that time. No. No. I mean like they they like the most normal guy looks like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> and right. it just gets more flamboyant from there. That that might be a problem. Yep. So is Sam going to be the the conduit of all knowledge here about what's going on up north? You think? I mean, uh, Asha obviously is too. That's a great. That's 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 a great. Uh, that that'd be a great vehicle to exploit. If so, yeah. I mean, he does say he knows a lot because he reads books. Uh, anyway, Catelyn arrives at Rob's camp. She finds out what he's doing and isn't happy that he's the one kind of leading the attack here. Uh, Rob shows her a letter from King's Landing. Catelyn says their best hope is to defeat the Lannisters in battle, and the stakes are, you know, the entire Stark family. Mm-hmm. Just everything that they care about. Right. <laughs> you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I thought that was a pretty good scene between... It's a it's a good, like, you know, mother watching your boy go off to war scene. Yeah. yeah it it sad, sucks, but, but you know it has to happen, uh, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else to really say about that scene. I'm I'm cool moving on if you are. Yep. Tyrion Braun and what's this guy's name? Sugar? What? Sugar? Shagar? Shagar. Oh, Shaga, yeah. Sugar. I'm gonna call him Sugar. Like <laughs> Anton? Yeah. Sure. They arrive at Tywin's camp. Tywin immediately begins insulting Tyrion with a status update on Jamie's triumphs and informs him that the king is dead and that is imprisoned. Tyrion explains that he's promised Sugar lands, but he's interrupted by a messenger who says the Northmen have crossed the neck. And then Tywin promises to give Shagar everything Tyrion promised him if he fights with them. It's interesting how, like, back-to-back we get the scenes essentially telling us the same military news. I thought, as watching this as, as uh, a second time through, I'm like, is that excessive? Or is that just you need it to set up what's about to happen with Rob and the spy later? Because it's literally the exact same thing we're told. Jamie is just right. fucking up the Riverlands. Tywin's come bringing up from the rear to support him. And we get the exact same knowledge from both sides. Is it to show that the veracity of the northern Northerners information? The fact that they're both using spies I, I and scouts? So, yeah, if you're showing both sides of this war and it seems like they're going to, or this yeah. battle, rather. Because it could also, like, you know, Tywin could be like, Rob thinks we're doing this, but really I'm going to ride to the Vale and lay waste to it. And that would yeah. be like, aha, Rob doesn't know what he's doing. But the fact that he's got accurate information is supposed to make us value his military mind? Or, or at the very least, like, keep track of where this battle is. Um, yeah. 
and how it's progressing because I feel like he uses intelligence well and interprets it correctly. Yeah. And I always like to be in the know of okay. these type of shows. I, I don't really like to be left out in the cold. Uh, I, I'm more about, I, it's more satisfying for me to see a good plan come together if I know the plan. Right. Than to be surprised by the plan, typically. Right. Um, and, and suddenly go, oh my God, that was amazing. Sure. Uh, every once in a while it can sneak up on me though. Yeah, fair point. So any, anything else here? We we kind of already talked about maybe what Tywin's up to. Um, I like the Neo uh, Tyrion cutting him off about to cut the manhood and cut off the manhood and feed it to the goats. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, because I, I, I if I remember correctly, that's kind of a book joke because that was kind of beaten to the ground. So Tyrion, the character, like yes, I know, and feed it was like <laughs> a, a shorthand for all those scenes in the books, right? Uh, and I did notice when Tyrion gets back. To a place where wine is available, he immediately tries <laughs> he to tries. indulge. And I his can't... father also is smart enough to play defense. Yeah, yeah kind of pulls the, the thing last thing I him. need is a drunk Tyrion right now. Uh, what do you think the status of Tyrion's? Uh, let's call it what it is: alcoholism <laughs> is at this point. Do you think he's kind of sobering up a little bit? Because he's been on the road for a while without wine. He's got to have a wicked, wicked headache most of the time. Well, I He's mean, got to be suffering withdrawals. Yeah, I was gonna say the alcohol withdrawals are no shit oh, thing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's if you're, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, I mean, sweats and vomiting, sure, like, all, all that, all like the very shit similar that you think to of with like heroin. Exactly, exactly. Uh, um, I, I can't. They didn't show any of that. No, and I assume that he's not experiencing any of it because right, of that. Right. Yeah, or if he did, he 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 got all that out of his system during in the the sky cells and the long walk from. Uh maybe so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I. It's been a while for Tyrion. Though. You're right. He didn't up and die from from yeah. the shock of it, so he must not be super alcoholic. But he's right back on it. Yeah. I mean, his his dad turns his back and immediately he's pouring himself a glass. He's a he's a fan of the the wine. Yeah. So there's a disagreement between Rob's men on how to attack. Uh, Rob says they need to take a bridge when his men bring in a Lannister scout who was counting Rob's troops. Rob releases the scout with a message for Tywin, and it kind of just mind boggles everyone else. No one can understand why he's showing mercy here. I thought it was fair. Even initial viewing, I thought it was fairly obvious. I didn't know exactly what he was doing, but my Uh, assumption was, oh, you've already we know that from Rob's own mouth said he has 18,000 troops. This guy's already counted 20. Yeah. So he's kind of a shit spy. So he is, I guess, sending him back to let him know. And he's also saying a whole bunch of, like, standard Stark shit that I think Tywin, if he hears this, would accept it. Because my first thought, if I'm Tywin, is, oh, you got released? Well, I can't trust any of the information. But Rob really hands up the Stark honorable. This fits into Tywin's preconceived notion of how Starks behave. So I feel like that that Rob is setting him up. He's going to zig where he's going to zag, and he's going to catch yeah. Tywin out of position. Yeah, I'm not buying his message of mercy here. No. It's it's odd to me. Well, it's, but it's Tywin, not odd. He's got to play it this way so that the scout himself will believes think that, it. That this so is Tywin the reason. will. And Tywin, we already right. know from Tyrion, it dismisses him as a green boy who he doesn't uh-huh. think much of. So this is all... He's going to say, oh, what a foolish move by a green horn. It's, Just... a, it's a risky gambit, but it's I guess it works in-universe. I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, and... Again, I have no idea what he's actually going to do. 
um, by by giving Ty- Tywin this information, but yeah. clearly he's not just releasing it. It's for interesting because I the way they play it, Tyrion has the better read of the situation because mm-hmm. Tywin's all he's a green boy, and I'm going to smack him on his ass and he'll go running home to his mama. And Tyrion's right. like, maybe, but like he paid a lot more attention to what was going on at Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, also, he met he 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 met him with his sword bared when when he came back uh, after getting at the after being done with Castle Black. So right, I don't know that Tywin's he, ever even that's met right. Rob like Tyrion's had a much better gauge of his metal than yeah. than Tywin ever did. Yep, uh, it makes me wonder if like Jamie would have been able to give any kind of counsel, hmm. M- maybe given the same counsel. as Even Jamie didn't see the Lord version of Rob, right? So. Yeah. Anyway, we go to Ned, who's awoken in the dungeon. He's just kicked in the leg, and then that's that's the entire. That's, scene that's there. the Jesus wept verse of Game of Thrones. Essentially, right, right. Ned's still in the cell. He Ned's got he, he got kicked, and then uh, that's it. And we don't see him again in the episode. What the hell? I, I was expecting him to be wheeled into the. I thought they room. were that the, for some reason that that was going to be significant to Devaris. Like, oh, but they never know. It's just no. a weird five second scene and Ned getting kicked. Hey, he's still down here, guys. Yep, kicked him when he was down. Uh, Sansa arrives in the throne room where Jano Slint is being given lands, and Tywin is being appointed hand of the king. Though though he's not there, it's it's just kind of a honorary title at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cersei fires Sir Barristan from the King's Guard and promises him a keep. He's super pissed about it because his oath is for life. Uh, but before they adjourn, Sansa speaks up and she pleads with Joffrey to show some mercy to her father. Her words move Joff, who says Ned must confess and admit that Joff is king or there will be no mercy. A, a lot of just real horrible shit happening in this scene that I hate to watch. Yep. Uh, I don't like Joffrey on the throne. He looks like a shit. Mm-hmm. I don't like Jano Slint, the betrayer of Starks, being given lands and a title or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like Sir Barristan being fired. Sir Barristan seems like a badass. Oh, yeah. That whole, like, even <laughs> now I could cut through to five of you, uh-huh. like, cutting so much cake is so and I don't, cool. I don't know that I entirely believe it. But... I do. I fucking believe it. He's a very old man. But the he's a very old man, but he is also like, pra, I mean, uh, God, I'm going to invite a whole bunch of fucking sword debates, so never mind. Right. But I he do does, think... I will say he walks out of that room with authority and with right. a, a level of physical capability that Belies is not... His age. Right, is not in, in line with his age. So I... Well, the other Maybe thing he's is better than I give him credit the, for. They, the other thing is, I know as a book reader, is that this particular Kingsguard class is seen as like one of the one one of the the weaker one of the weaker versions. Because uh, you know, a lot of Kingsguard. Well, I'm just saying, like this particular group, you know, um, several of them died during the rebellion. Oh, okay. You know, they had to rebuild around, like, essentially, Sir 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 Barristan Selmy and Jamie and a couple others, and then the people they added, maybe not quite, especially since the previous, you know, Gerald Hightower and fucking Sir Arthur Dane are like legend, like every one of them were legendary, and like right. Jamie was an up and coming legendary. And Barrison Selmy was f- fucking trained at the, the at the, the feet of these legendary guys, and they're just this is like kind of a shitty rundown version of the huh. the Kingsguard. All right. Um. So yeah, I kind of I think he could could do it. Not interested in debating it, but my gut says he could take these these fools. Yeah. Okay. Uh. What about what about Joffrey here? You think he's he's actually moved by by Sansa's words? 
I'm gonna put my I'm gonna I'm gonna put my previous hat on, and this could be true, it could be false. Um, okay. my my gut when I watched this the first time said that the big dramatic conflict is is Ned going to sacrifice his nobility and honor for his daughter's love, right? And that there's going that's that's going to be you know are are they going to be able to break? Ned Stark, the one guy who's kind of been pure and uncompromising and all this. Yeah, now that all of his values have been put to the test. Right. I and mean, that that's that's like I felt like that all this theater with his daughter and with the queen and now with Joffrey was all designed yeah. to 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 form into a weapon to break to break him. Yeah, and honestly I do believe in in the Whatever's gluing them together, the connection between Joffrey and Sansa. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand where Sansa's coming from as far as, you know, wanting to be queen and all this stuff, but I'm a little less certain on Joffrey, but I do think that he has feelings for her mm-hmm. and would be moved by her words here. Yeah, he, he... Because she actually says all the right things, too. That's... She doesn't say, like... My father's innocent. Right. And, this and is bullshit. Guys... This is bullshit. It's not fair. It's <laughs> bullshit. No, she actually... She actually mounts a cogent argument yeah. that makes complete sense. I know he needs sense. to be punished. I know he did something wrong, yep. but I'm just asking you don't kill him. He was wounded. He was hot. He was tripping balls off the milk of the poppy, right. uh, which is essentially you know uh, opium tincture yeah, in, this, yeah. in this universe. Um, so like, there's lots of good reasons why he was out of his mind and grief-stricken and all this stuff. Like that, that I thought that that's why I, was, I said in the top of the episode, I was kind of very impressed with how... Sands is able to negotiate this very tense courtroom situation. It's, so it's kind of surprising coming from her, actually. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little different than I expected her to act, but it's cool because she's giving Joffrey an opportunity to a punish the man for his right. treasonous acts if he'll, uh, and also to get an apology, a public apology out of this guy. Right, and it also makes him look like a merciful leader yeah. at the same time. It's it's. All the right things for Joffrey. And again, I haven't forgotten that, you know, how much blame you want to give to Sansa for this situation. The the truth is that her confiding in Joffrey, her father's plans to take them away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't know how it, how it, but that she's a little bit culpable for the situation she's in. But if you grant that, like she's got the hand that she's dealt at this point and she, she, she dealt a few of those cards to herself. I think she played the hand she had as, as well as you could play it. Right. Uh, and I don't know where they're going with this Tywin being Hand of the King thing. He seems to have more pressing matters at the moment. Right. Dealing with Rob. So. Well, it, to me, it just feels like if you are uh, the viewer that is on board with the, you know, you like Ned and you like King Robert, who I think we're supposed to like at this point, you just see the Lannisters encircling oh, yeah. all their fingers around the throat of the state. Yep. Like, Jamie's Lord Commander, the Kingsguard now. Oh, mm-hmm. my father Tywin's been promoted to Hand of the King. Um, like, that, you just see, like, slow, like, Pycelle always seemed like he was a Lannister guy. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's supposed to be chilling. That this is, like, this is the Imperial March is playing, and this is the, yeah. the, the evil takeover. And that's it. That's where we leave it. I love the final shot, the pan of the Iron Throne, the menacing shadow just swallowing uh-huh. up Sansa on her knees, you know, in this in this <laughs> in this very pale virginal dress, and it's just like a monster consuming her. Yep. So good. So good thematically. Before we get to feedback, uh, you know, there's times in your life you gotta ask yourself, are you gonna be like Littlefinger or are you gonna be like Varys? A guy like Littlefinger, mm-hmm. you know, he listens to Bald Move podcast. He's like, you know what? These clowns 
have been doing these stupid podcasts for years, the likelihood is enough people are going to chip into it that it's going to keep on going for years to come. I'm just gonna just gonna keep climbing this ladder of chaos. Why should I chip in my gold dragons? All right. Or Varus, guy like Varus, he's he he serves the realm. Someone has to. He understands mm. that if everyone was like Littlefinger, uh, the whole uh, the, the the whole podcast would f- slide into the narrow sea, and and there'd be no podcast for anyone. Oh yeah. So, you know, you gotta vent sometimes. Take Ned a flag and a wine down in the dungeons. All right. Can we? Are we suggesting that people donate wine to us? No. Is that clearly the club, they should go to club.baldmove.com, join the club? Oh, because you know uh, they they unlike Varys, they'll get something out of their their efforts. They'll they'll get uh, you know ad free feeds. Uh, they'll get uh, extra bonus content. Get the satisfaction and smugness that only supporting an independent podcasting uh, organization comprised of two middle aged men in the Midwest. <laughs> Can bring, and that's a deep abiding satisfaction. I've heard it from a lot of a lot oh, of yeah. deep abiding people. I do it myself. <laughs> uh, but the podcast, autoerotic like podcast funding. And... What's going? Oh, yeah, got you. It's like because if you're like, that's weird. If you're chipping in a dollar a month for this thing, I'm not. I'm not freeloader. I you're a fucking little finger. I knew I am, it, and I have access to I all the feeds. It. I knew you're the little finger and Varus. I always knew it. I always knew it. It's 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 crazy. They're just it's now come to this, and we have the confirmation. You got a choice before you. Uh, club.baldmove.com or amazon.baldmove.com. Super easy. You're shopping on Amazon anyway. I know you are. I know mm-hmm. you got birthdays and Christmas. Who, who wants to go out and shop Halloween for people anymore? Up. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can go to uh, amazon.baldmove.com and give us a little bit of love. It costs you nothing. It's, it's free money if you're using Amazon or club.baldmove.com. Pick one, please. All right. Do we have any feedback to do? Do we? Do we? Come on! This is this is Game of Thrones on bald move. Of course, we got feedback coming out of her coming out of her eye slits of her helmets. Uh, Mikey starts off. Uh, there's going to be a couple like just general bald move questions that I get asked a lot, and I decided to address them on air. Hmm. Relatively new to your podcast, I've been enjoying them. I would like to hear your take on previous seasons, but I can only find your seasons one and six. Is there a way to access other seasons? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Uh, it's a quirk of iTunes. That the more successful and the more frequently that your feed is hit, uh, the more strict they are on how big your feed can be. Mm-hmm. And if you violate, like you know, the the size of the feeds, they start penalizing you by by slow updating. Like they they stop pulling your feeds as often, so it looks like you know you haven't released a podcast. You released a podcast on Tuesday; it's still not showing up on Thursday because they're governing essentially how much, and it's to protect their shitty archaic system from probably <laughs> collapsing in on itself. Uh, the consequence is we found that we can only really hold 25 to 40 ish episodes, depending on this feeds popularity before like the iTunes stuff just grinds to a halt. So what we usually do is on the off season, we put everything back in the catalog because interest in the feeds obviously die down. And then we have no troubles from Amazon. And also we're not updating podcasts. So who cares if it takes, they're only pulling it once a week. Right. Uh, the drawback right now, since we made the decision to keep on rolling with season one, and the fact that, that that's six, super successful for us, like we've retained a huge amount of our audience, um, we still can't do that yet. So right now, the only way to get all of our podcasts is if you go to baldmove.com and you click on the podcast link and then click on Game of Thrones, you can use the website to navigate at the bottom. There's a previous next. You can keep going back in time. Uh, 
you can also, you know, a small, small shout to the club, the club.baldmove.com. One of the benefits of those ad free feeds is they also have all of our uh, episodes in because that bypassed the iTunes ecosystem. Yeah. Can't put you can't put premium feeds in iTunes. Uh, and if if you gotta have them through your your aggregator, then um, when we get done with our rewatch, uh, you know you can go back and enjoy all those episodes. Right. So and and season two and three don't exist at this point anyway. Well, that's why we're doing the rewatch. We started during season four. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Hopefully that helps people. Uh, Jenny says, "Hey guys, I'm listening to your Game of Thrones coverage of 107. You win or you die, and had to send an email and beg you to do all the seasons." Please, please, please. Seriously, I look forward to them every week. It's so fun to rewatch knowing all we know and hearing your guys' thoughts and knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think we're ready to promise a timetable, but I'm also morally certain we will do the rewatches for season two and three. Yeah. Um, just make it a year-round podcast. <laughs> just continue, like get to the end of the show yeah. and you just roll it over. Keep going. Yeah. Um, I think I, I will say like again, I'm not not making any promises, but um, if, if I'm looking with my bald move hat on, there's two more seasons left to go, and we have two more seasons of back, mm. back to, to, to to catch back up on. That seems like a nice symmetry. Yeah, there's something something that feels right about that. But the other harsh reality is, you know, October comes and a lot of our other bigger shows start coming back, and we're just not going to have the time to keep doing this. So yeah. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to do them. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, she also says back to the other episode or to the episode. And the reason I wanted to write you the deer that daddy Lannister is going to town on is totally real. I found this quote. Uh, so the butcher, this is uh, Charles dance, the guy who plays Tywin Lannister. So, so this butcher arrived with a dead animal and they gave me a little room to work in, gave me a sharp knife and showed me how to skin it and spill the guts into a bucket. The next day they gave me another dead animal and we shot the scene. It was a bloody good time, but it took me two days to get the smell off of my hands. <laughs> uh, this was from the da- an, an interview with him from the Daily Beast um, a while back. So, yeah, that was a real deer. Hmm. I don't know how they get around the no animals harmed in the making of this movie kind of business. It's probably a dead deer already. They just it's... bought it dead. Or I guess, like, I, w- I imagine that deer get hit in the U.K. as much as they do in America. Yeah. Maybe it's just roadkill. Sure fresh roadkill anyway uh however they did it they got a a real dead deer and uh he he carved it up so that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. thomas p from winnipeg says your guys discussion about the night's watch and how it relates to the american military experience really reframed Jon snow's conversation in the courtyard with jamie in episode two uh in which jamie poo-poos the night's watch to john's face when you guys discussed it you saw the way i always have seen it that jamie is just being a dick to take john down a peg (laughs) but i think jamie is in his own warped and dickish way reaching out to help john because jamie has already had the disappointing experience john is about to have jamie joined the kingsguard with visions of noble knights and chivalry dancing in his head uh but what did he get when he actually joined acting as a glorified thug for a mad and murderous king a mm. king who he has to kill to save the lives of others and then he's forever shat upon for doing what is the right thing he goes into a situation with rose-colored glasses learns the h- truth the hard way and it come becomes the defining event of his life what jamie is trying to convey to john is hey kid don't get your hopes up the idea you have as noble chivalrous brotherhood of knights is all bullshit you're going to get there and see the wall is just as corrupt as the rest of the kingdom He's trying to soften the blow and give John some advance info. Jim, what do you think? That's a generous interpretation of Jamie's motives, but sure, why not? And the thing is, like, 
it, I've seen the phenomenon enough in my own in my own life uh, and in my own self that sometimes when you have accurate information where you're trying to give it to a person that needs the information, uh-huh. you say it in such a condescending because you know for whatever reason right. that it actually has the opposite effect and it's tragic and um, unfortunate. But sometimes that's the way we humans roll. Uh, we can't summon yeah. the way to, to like what they always say in is to tell the truth with love. That's how you're supposed to tell people tough things. Uh, you're not supposed to like rub it in that you're smart or they're stupid or, of course, they're going to fail because they're idiots. You're supposed to try to tell them that and somehow soften it with love. Hard to do. Hard to do when you're staring at that face. <laughs> that John's slack just staring jaw, back just with his slack the jaw. The gaping maw. Oh, yeah. We, ha- we have uh, feedback. In fact, <laughs> the, the other – well, let me, let me real quick okay. say that Jamie might not even be aware – that he's giving some advice to John here. That's yes, because he might want to be condescending, but obviously his past experiences are going to inform his opinion on this type of service. Right. And he might be telling him these things because he honestly believes them. Yes. Uh, and without actually consciously realizing what he's saying to John. Right. He's just being a bitter asshole. And yeah. it turns out that that's the stuff that John needs right. to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is a happy coincidence. Um, okay, moving on to some some actual feedback. We got we got a from a medical perspective and an acting methodologies perspective. First oh. up, Doctor Brett B, the acting uh, dentist. The, <laughs> he's a dentist. Is he he acting acts on the side. Like he's a dentist. No, we have two separate feedbackers. Oh, okay. Uh, but he's going to cover the dental perspective. Uh, regarding your previous emails about John's slack jawedness, <laughs> at rest, the mandible assumes a habitual position when not involved in some type of movement. Several millimeters separate the occlusal surfaces of the teeth. Uh-huh. This is called freeway space, bizarrely. Freeway. Hmm. Uh, and the upper jaw bones rest lightly on the posterior slope of the articulate eminence of the maxilla. Proper oh. oral posture at rest means the tongue is at the roof of the mouth, the teeth are slightly apart, and the lips are together without strain. Got to have that freeway space. Okay, good. I think I do it. Normally, as he calls it. I think it. so, too. Okay. Um, and it's funny, because that's something I've always wondered about myself. And now I've worked, I've put myself in a position where I can I can put this question out to 100,000 people and one <laughs> dentist bites, and it's awesome. Uh, open mouth breathing when at rest. Now, here's the, here's the crucial thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, using the mouth to breathe when at rest can lead to pathologies such as gingivitis, sore throat, and bad breath. Ooh. Bad stuff all around. Open mouth breathing, however, when at rest, not exercising, is a sign of fatigue, a level of sedation, or a pathological condition such as upper respiratory infection. In his opinion, it's most likely the actors are just tired and have a tendency to mouth breathe when fatigued. That's actually a fairly good point. Like, you know, hmm. if you catch Kit Harrington after he's grabbed the, you know, you know uh, been, been struggling with an ice zombie for a whole day of, re- of, of shoots, then he might have his mouth joked because he's fatigued. Yeah, he, that could be true. Um, Christina Kay uh, has some acting experience. She goes, um, I usually leave the critical analysis up to professionals, but all these mentions about slack-jawed acting have me really tickled, <laughs> and I simply cannot stay silent. As a bit of background, I am a professional actor currently working in New York City. I trained at NYU Tisch School for the Arts and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and I've worked extensively in theater in New York City and regional across the U.S. So, uh, Kit Harrington is a graduate of the prestigious Central School of Drama in London, and Sean Bean is a grad of the Royal Academy. These are the credentials that have been provided, and we accept them. We we accept you as expert witness in the bald move (laughs) slackjaw trials, Christina. Mult, uh, the point of all this is to say that slack-jawed acting is an actual thing that is taught in acting school. <laughs> Multiple teachers taught me 
that when you're listening to your scene partner, it helps to have your mouth slightly open. This is so that when you're not, you're not closed off to them, but are fully listening to them with your whole body. And listening is the most important I, part mm. of acting. When you listen with your mouth closed, you are closed off, your breathing can be held, and you just appear disconnected. In theater, it reads as though you're not listening. Try it. Jim, try listening to Aaron with your mouth closed, then again with the lips slightly parted. Do you feel a difference in how you receive him? <laughs> Is your emotional whoa, reactions? Whoa, whoa. Do you feel you're able to breathe in with your partner with the jaw relaxed and lips parted? No. Here's no. the thing, like, I'm a fairly enlightened guy, uh-huh. and I'm not too caught up in, in conventional ideas of, you know, masculinity and emotional and all that stuff. But here's where the 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 gruff masculine side of me says no fucking way man no <laughs> fucking way and am i going to be, sit around and open my mouth to receive you uh, yeah no, it's i'm not, not going to do it just not a good look uh <laughs> I, I, mm, yeah okay. and this is why i can't try this this is why like we would get to this thing in acting class and i'd just be like i just this i couldn't i just giggle i'd giggle and i would be a shitty actor this is why yeah i, I couldn't do it, it this would be a bridge too far for me i just I would just view this as a bunch of mumbo jumbo. But you know what? It's kind of like we talked about in this Mr. Robot podcast, like the whole affirmations. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I my therapist asked me to do it, I had the same like no fucking way. I find and I think they work. And I think yeah, this, it, this probably might work. I, this works at probably a subconscious. Like I don't know yeah. if I'm you know you're opening your chakra and you're, but but right, I right. think that nonverbal cues this probably does something to us in the deep part of our brain where we we see this and like oh yes they're really absorbed they're yeah. like you know like when you when you see something amazing they're like you're agape you know you're like your sure. mouth is like mm-hmm. I, I think that that's part of that like you, it makes whatever the other person's saying much more interesting because the person's essentially selling it right yeah they're like a wrestler like selling the the, the punch yeah I don't know how I'd be interested to know how they explain it. Is there a term for this? Did did she lay out a lay out a term for it? Is it being open to your partner? Like I, she doesn't really say if it, there is a the term. Okay, because I would like to look it up and see what see if there's any kind of you know medical evidence or like right. scientific reason for why this this may or may not work. Right. Uh, she says, especially in theater, having your mouth relaxed in this way is necessary and reads so well on the stage. And that's the other thing is like theater and stage acting is a totally different thing. Right. If you got to play to the back, the back row. Yeah, and you're not gonna have a close up where everybody goes, "Look how wide yeah, his mouth the, the is." The flies open. flying in and out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, film is a bit trickier um, right. and not as heightened from an acting performance standpoint. But I guarantee you, Kit would definitely employ this technique, especially as a recent grad when he started on the Game of Thrones. Okay. So yeah, that does make sense. Like if you, if they are trained, uh, classically trained in this method, mm-hmm. it would make a lot of sense for them to come in and do this. Uh, Christina says in a final bit of analysis, um, it also fits in the ju- the nature of Jon Snow's character being fairly innocent, wide eyed, still much to learn. The, just looking oh, yeah. at the world with your mouth wide open. Yep. So yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate both of those perspectives. Uh, Holly from Devon, England. But he might have an upper respiratory infection. He could, or be conf- <laughs> Yes, yes, he could. He could. Uh, Holly from Devon, England, that says, just listen to your podcast on You Win or You Die and you discuss why Ned just didn't take the throne when he walks to the throne room with Jamie sitting on the Iron Throne. I've never actually understood why it would have been possible for Ned to take the throne there. I mean, he's just a soldier for Robert Baratheon's army, right? Surely, if he did just sit on the throne, Robert would get there and then... Would be king, seeing as Ned and the other men were fighting for Robert on the throne, not Ned. Could you explain how Ned would just come 
uh, be able to come in at the end and take the throne like that. Um, it might so it's called Robert's Rebellion, but as you know, history is written by the victor. Uh, this could easily have been called Ned's Rebellion or John's Rebellion because Ned. Ned's father and brother being killed and his sister being kidnapped was the things that instigated the rebellion. Right. You know, uh, John Aaron is the one who actually raised his banners and supported these two young men with his armies uh, and his forces. But it turns out that after they won, the fact that Robert had beaten Prince Rhaegar in single combat and the fact that his grandfather on his paternal side was a, a a relative of the Targaryens because the Baratheons actually were kind of a Targaryen offshoot, similar to the way the Karstarks were an offshoot of the Starks mm-hmm. uh, way back when. He had the best blood claim. Um, Ned and John also considered him the most charismatic and like you know people want to follow you type of dude. So it, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion at that point that yes, Robert would be the king. It's something that they kind of decided would be the best out of the three of them, or out of any of the other people to put on to, to claim the throne, and that's what he did. So it is conceivable that Ned could have sat on a throne, and the question would be: Would Robert contest that, or would John? Especially if they got there and he's already sitting on the throne, like, are you going to fight another fucking war at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that clears it up. Uh, Tane C said, I think it'd be awesome when it's all said and done if we got some remastered edit of the series where we got a POV storyline from start to finish. Uh, for example, blank story from beginning to whatever is in... I said all this because I don't want to... People consider it spoilers to know some people are alive at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be a fun way to watch the show. What do you think? Like, I don't see in any universe HBO comes out and says, like, uh, we're going to pull out just the Brand Stark. And, and show it from his perspective. What do you think that would be like as a watching experience? To just see the Game of Thrones from, like, John's eyes or or Bran's eyes or Ned's eyes or Tywin's eyes? Man, uh, that's a really tough question to answer. I don't... It might be interesting. Yeah. It, it might give you a little more perspective on why people make the decisions they're making um cuz we would understand a little more about the limited information they have yeah uh cuz right now we get a lot of information that some characters don't have it'd be a lot of very fog of war yeah like there'd just be inexplicable things happening um that would be my guess as to what that would feel like and i would say that there's no way in hell this is ever going to happen except for i know there's fan efforts oh, yeah. to like put the books in chronological order like the Boiled Leather podcast guys have got a suggested reading order, a feast and dance, unpacks it and puts everything in. Because it, it's very much like the Return of the King and, and uh, Lord of the Rings, where you've got two novels that tell the same period of time on different continents and characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went back and like interleave those so they're in one chronological giant book. So like when fans have that much passion for something, maybe you'll see something like that. Um, I've seen projects like this. There's there's one that they're talking about on our forums right now called Chronologically Lost, where they yes, take Lost I saw and the they, same. Yes, they re-edit it to be in chronological order. Right, all um, the flashbacks, the flash forwards, all that just straightened right. out all those kinks. So I guess somebody could do that if they wanted to. Yeah, and there might be people out there who do. Uh, Ido from Massachusetts says, "I want to ask how Jor Mormont and Alistair Thorne got to be at the Night's Watch." I can believe, or I believe that Alistair committed a crime, but Mormon is the head of his house. Do the books explain it? Um, so Jor wanted, when, when Jorah, his son, the one that's exiled over in, in Essos with Danny, 
uh, when he came of age, he wanted to leave the house in his hands, so he voluntarily took the black. Then Jorah went hmm. and disgraced himself, the slaver business, but he's already taken the black, so what are you going to do? Uh, Alistair was a Targaryen loyalist. And I mentioned last episode that many, many, many people got pardoned that were politically connected or important or whatnot by Robert. Uh, Alistair wasn't, and he ah. was offered the choice of execution or the black, and he took the black. Uh, which is why he's kind of up there and got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, th- I th- that makes a lot of sense, especially against Ned and Ned's I, spawn. I want to say, and this might not be correct, but something is also just popped up a fact in the back of my mind that Alistair Thorne might have been the head of the City Watch, the Gold Cloaks. Oh, okay. At the time, so maybe. You know, but again, why wouldn't why wouldn't Robert pardon him? Maybe he was just a big asshole about it. Probably, I could easily believe that. Yeah, given the character, uh, Ryan Gray. Uh, we talked a lot about the the voice of the audiobooks, and I got a little bit of feedback on that. That I want to consider. Mm. Uh, Says so sex scenes assigned the voice that Roy Dotrice does in Game of Thrones is amazing. You should play samples of him doing Robert Stannis or Renly. Three distinct voices that fit the character, but are similar enough that you can tell. They are brothers. Same thing with Jorah and Jor Mormont. Uh, voicing A Song of Ice and Fire is a huge undertaking. I'm a big audiobook person, and other than how he does Danny in Book 5, he is one of the things that drew me into the series. I agree. Like He is kind of a man of a thousand voices as long as you want him to voice men. Like... <laughs> Like he's got like like gruff military like he's got so many different types of like Scottish and Irish and different like foreign accents that he can do and they're amazing but ask him to uh, to voice an exotic woman and he loses his goddamn mind. It's not little girls and and boys. That's but you know what do you what do you what are you gonna do? He's an old right crusty no, I, dude. That's the thing. Like I have heard many audiobooks, none of which have gotten opposite sex. Uh, narration right right and the only way you could do it is like cast six or seven people yeah of different yeah. like you know, that would i think i don't know it'd be I, like as much as i love roy and his work and again i, I gotta get him stepping at 25 percent faster than his normal reading space but i think mm-hmm. he does fine it would be interesting if they you know since this is such a big cultural phenomenon if they do like some audio book where they do it the like world war z treatment yeah I, i'm pretty sure they've done that not with game of thrones but uh-huh. yeah I, i've definitely heard plenty of audiobooks that are cast as multiple people right uh tj from portland in the book cal drogo offers jorah any hor- we so we talked about this in the last podcast as background uh the fact that cal just cal drogo just offered jorah any horse in his calisar as a reward for saving danny right said in the books he offers any horse from his calisar except for his red and danny silver oh not well, sure why the show go. left that part out but i find it funny wondering how things in the show would have went if he had tried to take drogo stallion yeah yeah, it would have been uh, it would have been something else. Well, of course I didn't mean the red, you idiot. Uh, Richard E. Final email in the non spoiler section. Quick thought after last podcast: You and Jim were debating about Robert and why he would forgive those that have fought for the Targaryens and would allow them to remain on the small council or as major houses. I think what you need to remember is that Robert was the rebel. The opposing councilmen, lords, had remained loyal to their king. Who's more likely to be loyal to you? Someone who had not been loyal to the previous king or someone like Tywin Lannister who is willing to rebel once it was sure he was sure it was in his best interest? Those members of the small council that remained had experienced ruling had shown loyalty. Thus, there was no reason to punish them. I, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is they still have a flame for the old guy. Right. I'm, and they're going to work to undermine like you. Pycelle is looking at Sansa here. <laughs> like, 
she's gonna grow up and be treasonous. Right. These people are just gonna cow you for treason is then... treason. <laughs> right. But sure, I guess if you want to trust those guys, you can. Yep. Uh, that's all we got for the non-spoiler feedback. Of course, we still got a bunch more to talk about in the spoiler section. Looks like it's going to be another long one, Jim. Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you want to send us feedback and or forums.baldmove.com where there is a rewatch thread going and you can discuss it with your fellow fans. Uh, we'll be back next week for a, uh, a, a you know, a, a very special episode of Game of Thrones. Sure. Sure. That. Episode nine. Uh, that, that's the thing. Like, that's, is that a spoiler? Episode nine of Game of Thrones are kind of infamous for them being holy shit. And okay. we've got... We've got Ned in the cells. We got Rob marching to war. We got Tywin falling for maybe a trap. We got a lot of uh, Arya's f- f- loose in the streets. Right. That sounds bad. A lot worse than it actually is. But no, nah, she's 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 rampaging in King's Landing. Who knows what's what's going to happen? All right. Well, we'll see you guys then. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do we have? Um, so we've seen whites all through the seasons. Mm-hmm. How did this this depiction of whites differ from seasons later on? And I'm not talking about just their, their level of decomposition, right? But you know, um, does it does it really? I mean, they they look a little less vicious, I guess, a little less crazed. Yeah, like because I I feel like that the the whites in later seasons are shown as like super rage virus type zombies, right. like yeah. they're super fat, fast. They could jump. They're yeah. strong. I and I remember these as being more shambly. And as I said in the main cast, like I'm kind of pleased that I was a, like half wrong on that. But uh-huh. I do feel like they're a half step below. But the other thing that we have to talk about is. We know that the wall has a magical barrier against whites and others. Right. Okay, this is the big thing that I mm. want to talk about. That and we've seen what happens when whites cross that barrier. Castle Black is on the other side of that wall, right? So how is it what does this tell us about white technology essentially? Can they go can they be a white and then the magic unanimates them and then they are tossed on the other side of the wall. Like, like could white walkers set up big catapults and just launch dead bodies over and then they get up and start fighting? Like, I mean, how in the show, so I don't know what you know about this from the books, but in the show, do they say that the wall's magic? Do they say that there's this barrier that they can't cross that's built into it? Um, yes. They, in huh. so many words, okay. they've implied that there's it's more than just the wall that's 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 holding the the White Walkers back. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if that was a book thing or a show thing. Because I, and I the, honestly don't. I think it. they they think they fucked themselves over by showing how like kinetic the destruction of the whites were. Like they cross that right. threshold and they just fly apart into a million pieces, like they've been shattered. If they had just showed them like their marionette strings got caught, like it's a like a repulsive field, like this just pushes back the white water magic. Well, you could just say, well, okay, that that deactivated them. as soon as they got across the threshold. They could, like, presumably, if Bran had grabbed one of them and drug them further in the cave, they could reanimate. But I, I feel like it's a little bit of a plot hole that they really they they went for the awesome visual and didn't think about. Oh wait, in season one we did this other thing. 
Is it possible that we're dealing with two different kinds of barriers here? Possible. Two I mean, different magical We're barriers. dealing with magic, which, right. as, you know, this is where I start to agree with you on the problematic <laughs> nature. Is like we only know what has been demonstrated and not everything that's been demonstrated is... It agrees between the two primary sources. And you and you can't necessarily draw any conclusions from that either because there could be another piece of information that right. we don't have or maybe it's continuity error, maybe it's not. Who knows? Right. I mean, on the extreme level of analysis, like, I, you know, I've been parts of the groups where sometimes, like, I could see some... Some person freeze framing and like calculating how fast the pieces of the zombies were moved when they got crossed the barrier and would tell right. you how many kilojoules of magical force it was bringing. But at the end of the day, it's like, does, you know, that works on Star Trek and Star Wars. I don't know that it, and even in Star Wars, it doesn't really work for calculating the force. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Like, Maybe there'll be something that 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 answers all this. Maybe again, it would be kind of cool if that that it ends up being a strategy. Like I just come up that at the top of my head. But like, what if the White Walkers show up with giant trebuchets loaded up with dead horses and dudes, and they get flung to the other side and just start, you know, they're like living missiles? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I honestly can't answer the question. It's hard to even speculate because magic. Um. I thought it was pretty amazing seeing Asha talking about the gods and how they're talking and how, you know, Bran dismissed it as only the wind. Right. When, you know, it seems like the first thing I thought of is his interactions with his father. Like, you know... At the Tower of Joy? At the Tower of Joy and how the the three-eyed raven said, well, it's it's just the wind. Well, if we could put our season one hat back on, that kind of is very internally conclusive proof that no, no, he is actually having a real effect on on what's going on in the past. It seems like it could be. Uh, I mean, the, the usage of the words is identical. Yeah, I also had some questions about this war with the first men that you're talking about, how they came through and uh, started cutting down weirwood trees, right? Yep. Are they the ones that carved out the eyes so that they couldn't be spied on? Like, why? She mentions, like, all of these eyes are carved out, right? Uh-huh. So that they, they couldn't see... Uh, where does that come in? I don't know because I think maybe you're misunderstanding what she's saying. Maybe I am. Like, the, like I thought that she was saying like they carved their eyes so they could see. Because that's you know in the books okay. it's a thing that the weirwoods like, uh you know like like the weirwoods in in the hands of a green seer are like CC like close closed circuit television right like they're like little cameras that like they you can hear things through them and see things and travel back and see things what happened long ago. Um, and then as you get more powerful, you rely less and less on the weirwoods and you can kind of like, you know, your spirit can soar and what, whatever. Again, it's magic. What, what are we talking about here? Sure. Um, but no, I, I think that the, the first men like weren't literally gouging out the eyes of the, I, I think that she's just talking about, they carved their eyes so they could see and maybe heard couldn't. Um, hmm. okay. but, uh, yeah. I got one more spoilery question for you. Okay. So Arya at the beginning of this episode finds a needle and stabs a boy through the guts with it. Right. Just one little poke. Mm-hmm. Arya in season six gets her guts mangled. Mm-hmm. Just stirred up a, a good dozen times. Uh-huh. Falls into a river and survives. Clearly it's meant to be fatal in this season one shot. Clearly not meant to be fatal in season six. What the fuck? I, I don't know. <laughs> Are we to believe that uh, Guts technology has changed in the intervening five seasons, Double Ds? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. 
All I know is my mouth is open and I'm receptive to you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, the other thing I thought was really cool is Barristan in his speech. He says, I'm a knight. I shall die a knight. And tragically, we find out that was true. Yeah, uh, he dies swinging for he, sure. He, he dies as a lord commander of a, king, of a queen's guard, too. That's right. Um, finally finding a person that he was worthy to serve. I thought that was, uh, you know, it's, it's not super spoilery, but it's a kind of a nice foreshadowing touch. Mm-hmm. He waxed prophetic about his own death. Uh, shall we get to the feedback, or do you have another? Nope, that's it. All right. Uh, Thomas T. asserts boldly, Tywin is just as dumb, quote-unquote, as Ned. Mm. Destruction of the Reigns is what ironically destroys the Lannisters. Um, if you're an adventurous show watcher, uh, the Reigns were a kind of rival lord in the uh, Westerlands. And uh, you hear about Tywin's father, Titus, in this episode. Titus had kind of run the Lannisters uh, into the ground. He was weak. He was indecisive. He, uh, when his first wife died, he married a common whore. Or maybe that's just, I, I can't remember if that was actually literally true or that was kind of Tywin's dismissive portrayal of her. But, uh, and, and, and let her kind of started running the house. And this was seen in this patriarchal society as, as the worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. When his father died, Tywin came and the first thing he started doing is cracking the whip. And, uh, the Reigns were a house that also had a lion as the uh, as their logo, and the, the mm-hmm. Lord quipped what he thought hilariously is like, "Hey, our claws are just as sharp as yours. Why should why should one lion bow to the other?" Uh, and then Tywin destroyed his house and had his his ancestral seat burnt down, which led to the composing of the infamous Reigns of Castamere mm-hmm. uh, song, which which celebrates uh, Tywin's destruction of this. So there's the background. Thomas T. says, This was Tywin's first big achievement, and because it was successful, he went after every issue the same way, which led him to a dead whore in his bed and a crossbow bolt through his groin. His staunch commitment to his way of thinking is just as flawed and self-harming as Ned Stark. The question I put to you, Jim, is... Is it? (laughs) Uh, hmm. Like, the thing is... with, 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 With... Varys and Littlefinger working to fuck fuck up your peaceful realm. Could anyone have like think of how many challengers that Tywin did put down and how many problems he did solve? Could anyone have have stood in the face of all this agents of chaosery? Uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe Littlefinger can. Maybe Varys can. Who knows? But. I think, you know, at least making an attempt to mm. is kind of where they differ. Yeah. Because Ned doesn't want any part of it. Ned's right. not there to play a game, whereas Tywin will. Uh, to me, Tywin is, I guess, the more reasonable character. He's not not the more noble, not the no, more heroic, certainly, certainly not. But he is more reasonable uh, than than this man, Ned Stark. who Realist. He's yeah. more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that thing is, we find out in the show, not in the books, that the other thing that we don't know at this point is that uh, the Lannister's going broke. So right, Tywin, yeah. and now this is something that's not part of the books, and it's kind of curious, maybe it's to answer this question, is to show that he is doing all this with increasingly little, and that he's kind of desperate to cement his family's legacy and, and, and secure its power because they can't buy their way out of problems for very much longer. Right. Um, so I think that adds an interesting dimension to his character, but yeah, I, 
I mean, I, I see of... what you're saying, Thomas. That he's he 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 mm-hmm. first time he he hammered a nail, it worked. So now he just sees the world is full of nails, and he's got the hammer to beat him. But I think that sells his character short. Like I he, do too. Yeah, he very astutely now. You know, we see him mis misjudge Rob in this episode, but sure. not very rare that he he doesn't see the issue as, as as pretty pretty plain and clear. You might not agree with his actions, but his analysis almost always seems correct. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, but again, you know, people see things differently. Jordan in, I want to expand on the conversation about Cal Drogo's speech. You talked about how you felt when Drogo uh, started talking about rape and slavery in his fiery speech, but did you get the sense that Danny felt the same way? No, Um, no, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about this enough in the podcast. I didn't know that that would come up. So, Mm. um, uh, basically, where does this episode? We know that her her storyline is one of rebelling against this kind of uh, very nihilist uh, slaveholding scorched earth strategy, but yet part of her story in the later seasons is you know the fact that she can't help but embrace that occasionally. do you think this is like the first of that formative experience? I, I feel like that her being sold into sexual slavery was her what was and and and, and suffering <laughs> sure. under the under the heel of her brother was her first step, her first formative event. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that she's entirely learned. Um, I don't know. I don't even want to call it a lesson because she does change a lot of things over the right. episodes. It's not like she's ineffectual. No, and the, the the land just grinds her into a nub. But, sure, uh, you know it, she's learning that it's not going to be quite as easy. That these traditions are ingrained within the culture, mm-hmm. and like we said in the the main section of the podcast, I don't know that Drogo even changes his mind in this scene right. and lets her do what she's trying to do. Uh, it's uh, without you know being insulted and her being called a whore. Uh, I don't know. She's she's learning a lot yeah. about this land, um, and, and that's going to inform her decisions later on, I'm sure. Right. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, making excuses for something is the first step towards agreeing with something. Okay. Like, so, like, you know, the fact that, like, oh, I love her, and she's got my kid inside her, so that's why. Like, that's the fact that he's kind of rebelling. I it's it's tough to say what would happen if Drogo hadn't died. Would she be able to create a kinder, gentler Kalisar with him working together? Right. Or would eventually he run up to a, where he has this crisis of like, well, my concepts of like, like me, I can't sit there with an open mouth and accept you into me. Uh, like eventually his high minded ideals and love of Danny runs up against the, the, the cultural masculinity of the, the Dothraki. And like, I can't effectively lead anymore. Like, yeah. I've got these troops that won't follow me because they think I'm pussy-whipped or whatever. And I do think there was some middle ground that they were headed toward. Mm. Uh, I don't think Drogo wanted to completely quota. ignore... <laughs> like, right, yeah. Like, you know, reigning it in just a little bit. That's the thing. Like, they're, these are fairly uncompromising positions. These people sure. are human cattle versus they must not be molested. Right. And I don't think you can implement such wild swings... But Just t- instantly. What Tyrion would say is, I got a five-year progressive plan to phase out rape. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's, and I wonder what Danny would say to that. Uh, she would say, fuck that. Hmm. We've kind of already seen that. You know, it's but... interesting because we never get to see the show wrestle with those questions. Yeah. Because the fucking wise masters couldn't let well enough alone and invaded and right. forced the issue. Like, what if they kept their word? Yeah. Danny comes back and like, what the hell? We're just going to phase out slavery? 
Like, yeah. what what do I tell? Like, and then what kind of hardliner slaves are going to come out to market when they find, or not to market when they come to the political landscape and they find out our queen just let us stay in five years and line. My father died in the salt mines during those. Like, that's some interesting stuff that they kind of bypass in favor of you know, wise masters evil and they need to be destroyed. Yeah, and and you can't keep Danny over there until the end of the show yeah like it, it's like you, you get Tyrion all these shades of gray and then he never gets to see you kind of like explore what would the logical conclusions of that maybe they will in the books maybe they will in the books um okay hot and controversial take incoming david from north carolina says my question is this is it safe to say the show is way better than the books i give germ all the props in the world for creating the world but the books are kind of awful. If he cuts out all those terrible sex scenes, food descriptions, and characters constantly repeating themselves, <laughs> I'm convinced that he would be done with the series already. Things that the show got better in Dave's estimation. Danny. In the book, she is this love-thirsty character who only cares about the men in her life. How often does she go on and on and on about Dario and what the men in her life think? In the show, she's a force of nature, timid at first, but truly a possible conqueror by the end. Tyrion. Do I have to even say it? How much time do we waste with him talking about his first wife and going on and on? He also wastes so much time being sold and riding pigs and just being a waste. Wait, wait, wait. He so, rides pigs? He's sold into slavery, and uh, his his yeah, he's got this whole plot line where he's forced into a dwarf troop, and one of the things they do is they joust on pigs for oh. the entertainment of lords, and he has to do all that shit. Jesus, we missed that in the show. Yeah, I feel like we got a taste of it. I will say that there's actually an interesting thing where he sees what the life of a dwarf that isn't fucking rich and powerful. Right. And like it kind of a little bit humbles him mm-hmm. and like or says like, you know, because he's always like, woe is me. I could have been this great man. And he meets this this woman. I think her, her name is Penny. She's a dwarf girl. And he's like, oh, well, actually, wow, I actually had kind of an amazing life. Right. Compared to your average dwarf. So that was kind of valuable. But anyway, uh, he says in the show, he's a key character and someone we see as being handed to King. Cersei in the book, she's clearly a dumbass, where at least in the show they gave her some appeal. Uh, Brienne doesn't get to fight the Hound, and then the end wastes a lot of time fumbling around, though getting her face half eaten off is awesome. Dorne, what a waste of space. We see Quentin for so many chapters and for what? So he gets burnt and nothing happens. At least the show was like, fuck it. We know this sucks. So let's just stab the prince and have him ally with Danny. Rob, way better. John, way better. The only characters missing from the books who would have been amazing is Victorian with his black fire hand choking fools and lighting ships ablaze for sacrifices to the drown and fire God. Jim, do you have an opinion either way on this? I don't. I haven't read the books, so... I don't feel like I'm qualified to even... You know, the things I missed from the show... Because I think the show is awesome. And the show does a very good job of being the cliff notes for the books. But the things I really missed is the extra depth of, like, Tyrion's strategy at the Battle of the Blackwater. The fact that he had this enormous chain that you're wondering, what the hell is he making? Why? What is this ultimate weapon? And you find out at the end, once he lets the entire Baratheon fleet in, he raises that chain, like, three foot off the water so the ships can't get out. And he burns the whole fucking bay with water, bay with wildfire. Right. That's super cool. We get the Cliff Notes version of that in the show. It's not as cool. Uh, the Last Stand of Corn Halfhand. Uh, I think Rob's motivations are way better in the books. Like I, you know, they give him a character that's like super hot, and she's this nurse, and she's educated, and she's a foreigner, and there's all this dimension and love. And in the books, he's just a horny teenager that 
accidentally impregnates a very minor minor noble lady and because he won't throw her over and and father a bastard it leads his own downfall i think that's actually more interesting and realistic hmm. uh and i could go you know lady stoneheart the last stand of sir barristan i think there's a lot of cool stuff in the books you're right you know there's a bunch of stupid sex scenes and drinking scenes and the whole where do whores go and all that stuff goes on too far but i think it's unfair to say that the books are inferior to the show for sure uh, Rachel actually has something that directly addresses this, and she's frustrated with her uh, the portrayal of Jon Snow. This episode annoys me because it's one of the first inclinations that the writers are choosing to dumb down Jon Snow in favor of portraying him as the idealistic but dumb hero. In the book, Sam does not pass his training, and Jon realizes that he won't be around to protect Sam from Alistair, so he goes to Maester Aemon to convince him to make Sam his steward. When Aemon resists, Jon tells him, I remember once I asked Master Lewin why he wore a chain around his throat. A maester forges his chain with study, he told me. There are different metals, and each are a different kind of learning. Gold for the study of money, an account, silver for healing, etc., etc. The collar is supposed to remind a maester of the realm he serves. Isn't that so? Lords are gold and knights steel, but the two links can't make a chain. You also need silver and iron and lead and tin and copper and bronze and all the rest, and that those are the farmers and the smiths and the merchants. The chain needs all sorts of metals, and the land needs all sorts of people. Maester Ammon says, and so? John replies, the Night's Watch needs all sorts too. Why else have rangers and stewards and builders? Lord Randall couldn't make Sam a warrior. Sir Alistair won't either. You can't hammer tin into iron no matter how hard you beat it, but that doesn't mean that tin is useless. Why shouldn't Sam be a steward? John then tells Ammon that Sam is smart and well-read. Sam can read for the nearly blind Ammon and tend his ravens. With Master Eamon replies, Master Lewin taught you well, Jon Snow. Your mind is as deft as your blade, it would seem. Hmm. Including this scene would have been a lovely contrast to Ned, who lobbies for Stannis as a rightful or more qualified heir to Robert, but refuses to take this honorable action until it's too late. Jon's just as noble and protective as Ned, but he has a pragmatism that Ned lacks. I agree. Um, the story they're telling of Jon is much easier to fit in the page or on the screen, but why can't they have thrown in that scene to show that John is all the good stuff about Ned, but a little bit of cunning and guile, too. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's clearly not within the character they're trying to create, I guess. So, I mean, to me, that's an example where the books are better than the show. Right. Even though it's not to say that the show is flawed. It's just the books, the, the, the John character, the John character is more interesting. Hmm. Uh, do you want to talk about fireproof John theories? With the lantern? Yeah. Grabbing that lantern and going ouch. Yes. It doesn't actually say ouch, but there's a sizzle sound. And he's got a bandaged hand next. He clearly got burnt. Yeah. Um Cherie offers my theory is that John's only half Targaryen because he's half Stark too, whereas Danny's the full pure blooded Targaryen as her parents were heiress and his sister queen. Is that you buy that? I mean, weren't her brothers parents the same? <laughs> True. So he got burnt. Yeah. He got burnt pretty bad. Killed him as a matter of fact. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think there's something special about Danny. Yeah, it can't just be purely Targaryen, Targaryen because blood. you're right. Yeah. Viserion had all or Viserys had all the same advantages that she did genetically and Right. Um again, you, is that better that the books made it like a one-time magical blood sacrifice event and Danny does get burnt later on or do you I mean certainly cleaner to just say that's her superpower. R- right. 
It's it does it does have some questions when it comes to John and her brother, but it is a cleaner, easier to sell to the audience kind of story. Yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to give us like a concrete reason why Danny is special in that regard, but right. she clearly is in the show. Right. Uh, Sheree says, you spoke of the fate of Danny's army and wanting to see the final use of it. We've been waiting a long time. We talk about the divine wind kamikaze theory of her fleet. Uh-huh. Um, but didn't Gurm build another great heroic army of good? And what happened to it? It got decimated. It's not unlike him to allow us a bit of anticipatory joy and then pull the rug out. Cough, red wedding, cough. I fully expect a storm to destroy the armies heading into Westeros. It's just what Gurm does. This opens up the final opportunity for Danny to reunite with Jon Snow. Or in the end, maybe the White Walkers kill everyone. And that's the whole what is Martin playing at theory. Right. Like, can you continue to kick the the reader in the crotch until the very last chapter and the very last epilogue? Or do you eventually spin this into a story of hope and heroism? Right. We don't know. Which is more traditional and more satisfying, which, I think. Which but. is less Game of Thronesy, but on the end, the, is it? I mean, so you would read a seven-book story. Well, you know, you wouldn't. You would watch an eight-series <laughs> show where the heroes just lose consistently all the time, and nothing good a- no, no, actually no. happens. No, I'm saying it's more satisfying to see the hero win in the end. Ah. To root for someone and have them victorious. But, That's uh, why every movie under the fucking sun does it. Yes. Every story ever told, the good guys win. And I know there are exceptions. And But Game of Thrones seems like that's the stock and trade. And is that a disadvantage for Gurm's storytelling t- that he's essentially taught us to always expect to go against a trope and go against the good guy wins, except for at the very, very end? Right. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's definitely because we talked about it. Like a conventional story, Danny and John would just marry up and that'd be it. Sure. But everyone says that if that happens in Game of Thrones, it's bullshit. So he's already definitely up the difficulty level, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be said that he's training us to root for different things in this particular story, but I don't... Hmm. Uh, I still think we're rooting for the good guys in our eyes to triumph. Maybe not quite as neatly, maybe not with a bow on the top, but right. But definitely they're going to win. Right. And if I, I still think that if that doesn't happen in the end and it's just a kick in the dick... People aren't going to like it. I wonder if, like, in it, it, like Martin's point is okay. In Lord of the Rings, you had Frodo and Gandalf and Aragorn, and they're these paragons, and they meet all their fight, and they're perfect characters, and they win. Mm-hmm. In my book, I'm going to kill off Aragorn. I'm going to kill off Frodo. I'm going to kill off Gandalf, and it's going to be fucking uh, Wormtongue and Eowyn, uh, the the Rohan woman that saves the day. Okay. There's going to be a morally compromised gray character and the woman that wins. Like, I right. wonder, and is that considered a, 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 de- a, a enough of a subversion of the trope? And, and there's, there's more sacrifice. It's, sure. It's kind of a proxy win for the right. heroes. Right. Sure. I can see that here. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, Thomas T says, we all love to say how far ahead of the curve and how well informed Littlefinger is. Compared to everyone else, does he have any plans involving Danny? Not everyone thinks that walkers are a myth, so he can be forgiven for not including them in his plan. But everyone knows Danny is real, and most smart people believe her dragons are as well. Do you think he has any plans for what to do with her? His schemes seem to only factor everything in Westeros and south of the Wall. Not very smart, if you ask me. I don't think. That's I think a the white. Good point. Uh, you're right. I, I don't know that I've ever heard him mention Danny ever. 
That's not the same as saying he doesn't have a plan for her, but I am pre- fairly certain that he, the White Walkers are not on his radar. And mm-hmm. and I, I kind of feel like that's going to be his eventual downfall. Yeah. That, like Asha says, he's preparing for the war down south that's not going to matter in about six months to a year. Yeah. Um, but Danny, I don't know. Just He hasn't talked about it, but why would he? Sure. You'd think he'd do something, like if, if that was on his mind, he would say something during his little cat and mouse games he plays with Sansa maybe right and he clearly understands I guess that something is going on over there because doesn't he confront he confronts Varys about it mm. a couple episodes ago right right oh you're meeting with Illyrio I, I know all about yeah that. he knows yeah he knows yeah I he guess... knows there's Danny's in play but sure he doesn't really mention it when it comes to any of his plans and you know he's making the sin of just completely writing her off as like well she's a young girl maybe with an untrained army but dragons something tells something tells me Littlefinger is not that yeah that kind of guy. It'd be interesting to see what is his eventual downfall because it's it's got to be coming. It has to be. Yeah. Caitlin T said the first time I watched the season, I was a hundred percent supportive of Ned's assessment that Cersei was an incestuous monster that needed to be removed so that Stark and company could take over the Iron Throne. I was a naive summer child that still thought good always prevailed over evil <laughs> and that people in this world were inherently simple enough to be defined as good or evil. Now, watching this exchange between Ned and Cersei, my first thought was, why would he do that? On the surface, it does seem obvious, uh, but knowing now what we know, that incest is not really illegal, illegal and there's precedent for royal families to keep their, for, to do in, the inbreed to keep their bloodlines pure. Mm-hmm. Adultery is not illegal, see Robert, Ned, uh, wait, Robert and Ned, as far as he says anyway. Um, Ned is known for being honorable and just, yet his focus is on publicizing her children's status rather than the crimes that he believes she and Jamie committed. Robert doesn't actually care about Cersei or her children much. What wrath is he warning her of? He'd probably just make a show of sending them to Castle Rock just to be rid of them, not because he was actually hurt by her. Uh, and also that Leanna had a child out of wedlock with an already married prince and Ned protected her and her bastard to his death. Um, why does John get to grow up to be protected, but he tries to make sure that the innocent children like Marcella and Tommen are public humiliated and banished this time through though. I see Ned's actions in King's landing as more self-serving than dutiful. He has a personal vendetta against the Lannisters and he's willing to put the entire realm into chaos and war to extract justice for Bran and John Arryn. He knew there'd be a risk of war. The moment he told the city watch to arrest Cersei and Joffrey even if he had succeeded, Ned already knows that Tywin will not let Lannisters be held captive by another Stark without getting involved, especially after Caitlyn already uh, held one Lannister captive, Catelyn rather. He knows Rinley took off with Loras and the other men after claiming he deserved a throne, and he knows that Stannis' lawful nature will make him fight for his right to party. Uh, the th- wait, fight for his right to party a throne. I don't get. It's a Beastie, it's a Beastie Boys. Boys reference, yeah. but I fucked it up in my delivery. <laughs> uh, he knows challenging the Lannisters will not happen easily or quietly. As someone who is acknowledged as the lord of the common folk, Ned continues to put aside their best interest for his own. His sense of right and wrong will cause the deaths of thousands of common men during the war, not to mention the food and resources that will be drained when the kingdom is already in massive debt and winter is coming. Is Ned Stark just as stupid, or just stupid, honorable to a fault, or has he repeatedly put the realm in jeopardy to extract personal justice? I don't think we've talked about this the fact that Ned has got a hard on for his enemies, the Lannisters, which he thinks has murdered his friends and family. What do you think of that angle? Like how much of this is his honor and how much of it is he wants revenge, but he, you know, he's got a certain way that he needs to go about it. Uh, man, that's a tough question to unpack. Cause 
like he is very reluctant to even get involved here, right? He doesn't want to become Hand of the King. He doesn't want to like avenge Lord Aaron. Sure. It's not like he's itching to go do that. He would rather just stay up north and do his own thing. I'd... Right. But like once he's involved, I I don't know. I guess I just don't see it as as personal motivations. I see it as as more honor and just the kind of character that on the face of it he looks to be. What do you think? So let's say that Robert Barat doesn't offer him the hand of the king, or he refuses for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Ned stays. Uh, Bran still sees Jamie and Cersei fucking. He still gets thrown out the window. He finds out later that it was Jamie Lannister to kill him. Does he? Does he? Does he call his banners and march to war over Bran's Probably, life? Probably. Yeah, I could see that. So, but, but I is that so? But that's the thing. Like the the ideas of justice and honor. Like, it's not, he can't, it's not like he's callously sacrificing the common man and going to war because of that. In his mind, what use is there peace in the land if it's built on the back of injustice? And the way he sees injustice is a child dying for witnessing a petty crime, essentially. Yeah, and I, I don't know, I think the idea that he wants to make Stannis king is also tied up in this. Yes. He sees this as the right by by law uh that Santa should be king and it doesn't matter about anything else it doesn't matter if he's a bad king uh he's just trying to uphold the law here and and that doesn't really seem to have any kind of personal motivation yeah it's just more evidence that he's a just and honorable man i think so it's is it just seems like it's impossible to intertwine or to to separate his personal beliefs and code of honor and what he sees as justice and peace with his actions like they inform each other it's the same mistake a lot of people make politically like oh this person doesn't agree with me the way i see this outworking is that a lot of people are going to die or a lot of uh, people are going to be put down this they're evil and they must know they're evil you know that's not the way the world works it's just the fact that their worldviews and values are different from yours so they're not seeing the same facts and calculating the same moral calculus so it's right. I don't think you can be like, ah, here's a smoking gun. Ned's really doing this selfishly and fuck the people. I he just wouldn't see it that way. And if he doesn't see it that way, then how can you see it that way? Like is there a true objective thing where you can stand outside the universe and say, Yes, Ned Stark is a son of a bitch. Right. Uh I don't think so. Yeah. He seems like an okay guy to me. He's just uh a little a little too honorable. <laughs> And he's not, yeah, I mean, that's right. He's not right for this. His It turns out that his conceptions of the world he lives in were wrong. Sure, yeah. But he didn't know that until he cast a die and saw the result, right? Right. Like, up until that happened, the way he lived his life had worked out fairly hunky-dory for him. I don't know. Seems like it. I don't know. These questions, like, I'm, I'm, I'm about to call a moratorium on, like, I, that's a weird thing for podcasts to do. It's like, no more delving into the depths of character souls. But, like, you're, we're starting to get to where we're, we got a lot of angels dancing on ever tinier pinpricks as far as nuance and doubt. And, like, I, I don't know if there's any, any more illumination to be had. Right, right. Well, I, I guess, you know, when, when new shit comes to light. When new shit comes to light. Okay. Uh, it's, it's warranted. Uh, we had a lot of them this week. There's, this is the last email, um, and it's another one of these types. So if you're already bored, I guess you can shut it off. But if you, if you find the conversation stimulating, uh, join us for one last time. Anthony LD said, In episode 8, we hear the first of two conversations between an imprisoned Ned and Varys, who's donning a very fashionable condom hood. 
These two conversations illustrate nicely what ethicists call uh, deontology and consequentialism. Oh, boy. You'll have to explain those. Ned represents the deontologist. I think that's deontologist. Yeah. Uh, He is devoted to living up to a standard of honor. In Ned's world, doing the honorable thing, as measured by the rules of lordship, family, lines of succession, justice, etc., eclipses any worry about the outcome. Varys, on the other hand, represents the consequentialist. In Varys' world, the in-game achieving the best outcome for the realm eclipses any worry of what is honorable in the moment. When Varys says that he serves the realm, he is claiming to have a larger and longer view, which is more important than individual act of honor. Mm-hmm. Convincing Ned to lie for the greater good is a consequentialist approach. Ned hears a suggestion as deceit that will damage his honor, fail to bring justice for Aaron's, uh, 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 Aaron's murder. Yeah, yeah. The Lord, oh, R, Lord R, R, she, they spelled it the way my name is spelled. Oh. It, it fucked me for a bit. Uh, and shit away the rightful line of succession. Ned is initially unwilling to trade his honor for Varys's endgame. I think there's a tendency among G- Game of Thrones fans to contrast Ned and Varys as stupid versus smart. Guilty as charged. <laughs> there is no doubt that Ned isn't as bright as Varys, Littlefinger or Tyrion, but I think that the ethical con- contrast is more interesting. Consider this. Varys does indeed convince Ned to take the consequentialist path and end. Ned ends up forsaking his honor for the greater good of his family. And he gets decapitated anyway. His family is scattered and killed. Mm -hmm. Perhaps Ned's dontology isn't short-sighted or stupid after all. In a world where you can get killed no matter how you play the game, why not die with your honor? Maybe being remembered by your family as an honorable patrifamilius is as much as anyone can hope for in Martin's world. Okay, let me real quick. Do you think here that he's saying Ned understood the only outcome was his death and that he was trying to, in in not acquiescing to Joffrey's demands, he would have preserved his honor and still suffered the same outcome? Yeah, I th- and, and Ned understands that? No. Or do you think Ned is just making the decision that Ned makes regardless of the outcome? I think Ned, at the end, what he does next episode is he makes a compromise of his morals to satisfy... Right. What he thinks, what he wants to happen with his family and his daughters. Absolutely. And it backfires on him. Which is the, this is, that's the prop. So I I like this. This is interesting because I definitely, I definitely am a consequentialist if I. uh, I'm I'm more so of that. I'm I'm, I'm a blend of both because I don't think anyone's ever any one thing all the time anyway. Right. But the argument against that is like, well, you if the ends justify the means and no living man can predict the ends, then that could be used to justify anything. Well, I, I mean, I guess the goal of the person of the consequentialist also factors into it. Right. And also the likelihood of success. Like if someone came and said, right. Hey, if we kill a million people all at the same time during the full moon, it will cure AIDS across the globe. Sure. Yeah. Well, that the ends absurd. justify the means. Let's fuck it. Let's try it. But then you're like, okay, well, we live in a world of science and reason. That doesn't seem uh-huh. very likely. But there's a lot of shades of gray between those two positions because essentially all of the conflict we have in politics right. are people – I think everyone is a consequ- – well, I mean, there's a few dontologists, but most people are consequentialists. Like if you do this, why will happen? Why is bad? We can't have why. And the other person's arguing, well, actually, if we don't do X, Z will happen and Z – and people fight about it because no one knows for sure. 
Yeah, and there's also a tendency to go the other way with it because you can very easily say, like, this is the right thing to do in the moment, but if you take a more long-term view, right. like, abolishing maybe a certain system is going to be painful and it's going right. to cause some kind of casualties, but in the long term it will be a better strategy right? and it will make more people safe or happier or whatever. Like, it's kind of... You can approach it from both sides in politics, and people do. Right. Uh, as far as, like, do I agree more with, like, Varys or Ned here? Uh, you know, Ned himself doesn't even agree with, with the, deon, the deontologist yeah. side of things. Uh, Not in the end, yeah. He compromises. In the end, yeah. So I, I'm much more on the, the I don't know, the, the Varys it, side It's interesting because history tends to be massively consequentialist with you know full hindsight like right, you know right. we, I, yeah. I remember like uh, the dan carlin podcast talking about like modern views of like uh uh you know uh the mongol empire uh-huh. you know it's like oh look at all the good cross-cultural pollination and like you know how like the the advanced systems were put in place and the, the, you took the best and brightest of all and but you go to any of those towns that were killed to the last man woman a child and say hey you're getting killed, right. but this is going to be net good for history. They'd be like, fuck you, man. Yeah. And also, how do you know? Like, what if, right. what if, uh, you know, Genghis Khan never did that? Mm-hmm. What happens to the world? You don't fucking know. Can you honestly say that, like, 100 million people dying in that portion of the world was a net good? Who knows? Right. And I think that's the, the monkey wrench in the, the works there is. Yes. You just can't be sure that that taking this consequentialist view is going to pan out the way you want it to. Yeah. Whereas with the deontologist view, there it is. I've right. made this decision. This is a thing that definitely went my way. Uh, uh, well, that's also, that's like so it, fascinating. It's a lot easier to defend that side of it. it it's so fascinating because like there, there's a lot of research to show the more intelligent you are, the, le- the less sure and the more hesitant you are right. because you can see further into the future and like, Oh man, well, if this doesn't go my way, then this could happen. And you just kind of like get, Whereas sometimes you need a person who's like, fuck it, fuck it, enough talk, enough of the nerd talk, we're going to go and do this one thing. And like, you know, that's better than doing nothing, except for sometimes it's better to do nothing. In a lot of cases, sure. Fucking life's complicated, man. What are you going to do? No right or wrong answer. (laughs) Is that a consequentialist consequentialist view or a dontologist view? I don't even know anymore. Uh, All right. Well, I appreciate the thoughtful, thoughtful uh, discussion and emails. Yeah. I can can tell all your mouths are wide open, ready ready to <laughs> ready to, ready receive, to us. receive us fully. God. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm shutting this shit down because I can't handle that anymore. Got to shut your mouth eventually, Jim. Eventually. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or mouths are wide open. Forums.baldmove.com. Find find a bunch of fellow mouth mouth breathers. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye bye. <laughs>